This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. I was hoping for Kenobi. Why are you here? Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore, usually, film series one movie at a time. Uh, however, this time, we are back in TV. Uh, I am your host, James Hamrick, and I am joined with my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on? No, seriously. Why are you here? Oh, I wish I was Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> if I could be Ewan McGregor, uh, I'd take that Even Ewan James Arnold Taylor would work. Yeah, but man, I, I want that winning smile. Yeah. Alright, well, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Excited. It feels so weird. Uh, you know, we had that, that like bittersweet finality with or you know somewhat finality with season six and i remember being so excited with the clone wars saved logo and everything and mm-hmm. and then that wait felt like forever which because it, it was essentially two years that was 2018 right yeah back when we still had comic cons yeah oh i remember the days but it, it just felt you know like we we had Star Wars celebrate, or no, before anything, it just felt like we went a long time without seeing anything. And then we saw the, like, the scenes from Star Wars Celebration, and then we went another long stretch of time without a teaser or anything. And, you know, all of this build up, and now, now it really is over. Ah, uh, but yeah, that, that was crazy. Um, uh, let's just get, kind of just move into our conversation. Back when, this happened this happens so many times where we will be covering a a, uh, a franchise on the podcast and either on the final episode or after, usually after the final episode a big announcement will happen and we had we had recorded on season six and we were literally prepping the episode to talk about uh clone wars legacy which was all all of the the on the unaired ideas and unfinished concepts that they've been working on for seasons six seven and eight and as we were prepping for that episode, the announcement came out uh, from Comic-Con, Clone Wars Saved. And so we literally had to scramble and like rework the episode instead of this kind of mournful, this like this is what could have happened if you know, if Disney hadn't canceled it. It was like, oh my gosh, we're going to get more. Um, so I, I still remember just how, how kind of giddy we were recording that episode instead of being you know, sad and mournful as we expected to be. Yeah, that was a that was a good day. But now we're back to having no more Clone Wars. Yeah, so since it has been so long since we talked about the Clone Wars on the podcast, um, I'm just going to do a bit of a recap on what the situation was like and why it was canceled and all that good stuff. Um, so going all the way back to early 2013, shortly after Disney had acquired Lucasfilm, they announced that they would be canceling the Clone Wars after five seasons. There have been a lot of speculations as to why um, it could have been, you know, it was too, maybe it was too dark uh, for what Disney had wanted to be. You know, when, when uh, Disney, what they wanted a Disney produced animated series to be at the time. Um, there's also, you know, perhaps Disney didn't want to continue partnering with Cartoon Network, which is, uh, which was the distributor uh, of the show at the time. And also um, that they, you know, they wanted to start their own show on their own platform, Disney XD. Um, and then there's the, I think one of the very likely ones is that the show was just monstrously expensive. And I've heard, like, I, I, there's very little act- like actual concrete information on this. But from what I've heard, um, like it was never actually cost effective and that it was it only got, you know, continued being produced because Lucas is a fabulously wealthy man and could afford it. And so the fact that 
they canceled Clone Wars and then did a more, you know, a more family friendly show on Disney XD that was much cheaper to produce. It kind of like lends credence to all those things. So it was probably just a variety of factors as to why the show ended then. Um, as far as like what would have been, uh, so I, I did a bit of research again, looking into like what exactly that they had in the pipeline. And as far as what has been actually announced, told to us like at various comic cons after the cancellation Filoni would go up there and you would t talk about, you know, this was an idea we had, or this was an idea, you know, there's, there's been the, uh, the comic books, books um, based on that stuff. So there have been roughly 50 episodes uh, that we know about for sure that they were working on. Most had already been written and most are, like, were already uh, just, you know, laid out as four episode arcs. You would have had um, the bad batch, which is four episodes. So goes walkabout Christopher Christ on Utapau. Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, which became a comic. That would have been four episodes. The Dark Disciple arc would have been eight episodes. That became a book. You'd have had the Bounty Hunter, Boba Fett, and Cad Bane arc. The Kashyyyk and Bad Bash Part 2. A uh, Rex and R2 Top Gun type series, uh, uh, type arc. A Return to Mon Cala. The Siege of Mandalore. And then there would have been Ahsoka's Return, and where she goes under the Jedi Temple and finds like this ancient Sith thing. And then the possible introduction of the Yuzong Vong. So... Like that, that, those were the ideas they had. It would have been roughly about 50 episodes. So looking at, we've got 13 episodes from season six and 12 episodes from season seven. Uh, you put those together. We, that's roughly about, you know, season six through eight filled up pretty well. Um, give or take a couple episodes. So we would have had, you know, two full seasons on top of the, you know, the two half seasons we've gotten, which I, 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 I'm very, very happy that we finally got an ending, but even still, I wish we could have gotten that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like torn. Obviously, I would never. I mean, as my tone has been, I would always be ready for more Clone Wars. Uh, the only thing that I think they were running into is it was becoming with every new season harder and harder to believe that all of this had happened in three years. Uh, <laughs> and so I wonder how much because because now you know like especially with this leading in the way it does, you kind of have a good idea of of time frame and I would like maybe you know eight seasons well, would have been this was this was clearly rewritten oh well, yeah to lead in towards the end yeah so maybe uh, yeah I, I could see that you definitely don't want it to go stale but still and I, I think the commitment to four episode arcs as can be seen in this final season it you would there was there was an effect to where you know occasionally you'd have episode arcs where like that should have been three episodes kind of thing so that might have made it get a little tiresome, but I mean, more Clone Wars. You can't, you can't argue with that. Yeah, I find ways to enjoy even the lesser episodes. And the crazy thing is, like, they had written all the way. Like, he knew exactly where he was going back in season five. Uh, supposedly, he had written a good portion or maybe the entire script for the Siege of Mandalore. So they knew it, it was all planned. They knew exactly where they were going um, when it was all canceled. Yeah, because like, like in uh, the E.K. Johnson book Ahsoka, they made vague references uh, to the Siege of Mandalore and Order 66 and Darth Maul and all that. So that was all in, in the works. So, yeah, the, the series was canceled. A year later, they put out the, you know, the 13 episodes of the Lost Missions that that they were able they, Disney allowed them to finish to give something of an ending at the time. I saw a decent ending, actually. So they had the Lost Missions. And then, you know, going forward all the way to towards a 2018 was when the announcement was made that they would be, you know, producing a final season of twelve episodes that would premiere on the as of yet unnamed Disney Plus. Um, 
I remember at the time, I assumed it would be the Bad Batch, Crystal Crisis on Utapau, and the Siege of Mandalore, mainly just because of the Bad Batch and uh, the Crystal Crisis were already, you know, laid out. Those were the two arcs that had been released, you know, as in their full, you know, full four episode forms as the, you know, the rough previous animatics. And I had actually watched them in preparation for that episode. You didn't watch either, did you? No, uh, I think, oh, and then I remember being glad Whenever it was announced, I was like, okay, good. I'll watch them in their pure form. Yeah. Uh, but Crystal Crisis on Utah is still worth watching, you know. It's, it's just like a full arc of clone where it's just kind of rough looking. <laughs> um, but later on, after it wasn't until like the first trailer, like a year later, that we learned that it would actually be Bad Batch and the middle arc would actually be Ahsoka's a walkabout instead of uh, Crystal Crisis. And anybody who uh, who you know follows the Clone Wars or has watched it probably has a, a pretty good idea of all of these voice actors. But just because it's been so long, uh, I'm going to go over like the the top build cast. We have a uh, Tom Kane as both the narrator as well as Yoda, uh, among several other characters. Admiral Ularen, uh, D. Bradley Baker as all of the clones. Uh, he's his voice has just grown on me so much to like. Like as soon as I start the Bad Batch again, and I hear, I'm like, "Oh man, this just this feels right." Um, Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker, uh, James Arnold Taylor as Obi Wan Kenobi, Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano, uh, Matthew Wood as all of the battle droids, uh, and that's that's like the the primary cast. So I, I also I want to talk about a bit about like the the stated reasons for why it was these arcs. I remember a, a lot of people were getting kind of pissy after the, like the eighth episode. Like why are we, why are we getting these arcs? We should have gotten the better ones. Like oh my gosh, this is the this is the final season. We deserve better episodes, and I can't believe they wasted it on this. Um, essentially, uh, Dave Filoni has said that he views season the, the whole Clone Wars essentially as primarily about Rex and Ahsoka, and he man. You know, you could definitely argue about Anakin and um, Obi-Wan as well, but Rex and Ahsoka are the creations of the of the Clone Wars, and like they're the uh, the two biggest characters that are from this. And since Obi-Wan and Anakin, they got a whole movie, you know. Uh, so this, he decided that this final season, he got 12 episodes from Disney. He was going to make it about these two characters. So you have the first one, it's all about Rex, and and it being the Bad Batch, it's about you know, the indiv- individuality of the clones, so, you know, it's very, very on point thematically with what this season is trying, you know, so, so this season is kind of like reaffirming the, the themes that have been built up all across the, uh, the arc, you know, this one last time. And then obviously Ahsoka. So he gave, he gave us the, the Ahsoka centric series, Ahsoka's, Ahsoka's walkabout. Um, again, like we could all quibble about the quality of the specific episodes, but I, th- I think there's a very clear thematic through line of why, why these arcs, what they mean to the characters. Uh, and, would I prefer something else? You know, with hindsight, possibly, but uh, there's a, I, I think it definitely makes sense as to why we got these specific arcs. Yeah. All right. So let's just move into uh, to the first. Uh, the first episode is the Bad Batch. This one was uh, directed by Kyle Dunleavy, and it was written by Brett Friedman and Matt Mishnovitz. Uh, Mishnovitz is behind the Umbara and the Citadel arcs, and Friedman is behind uh, the Obi Wan Undercover and D Squad arcs. They also wrote for a bunch of rebels, uh, and then they, they together wrote the entire Bad Batch arc. And so the synopsis for the fir- this first episode is: the Republic and Separatist forces are battling on an axis, and the Republic is getting the worst of it. Rex comes up with, with, with a, Rex comes up with a theory that the algorithms 
that guide the Separatist battle droids' tactics have somehow gotten inside information on the tactics that the, the Republic's clones use in battle, so he and Anakin devise, devise a plan to steal the Separatist algorithm. Later, Rex reveals to Jesse that the Separatists seem to know about specific maneuvers that were only known to him and Echo before Echo had died at the Citadel. He thinks that Echo might still be alive and in Separatist custody. Rex and Anakin are joint. Um, Rex and Anakin are joined on their mission by Clone Force 99, also known as the Bad Batch, a group of four clones who have mutations uh, that turned out to be beneficial to combat. They travel to a Separatist communications array, and after much blasting, capture it. They hack into the computer, and Rex discovers that Echo is indeed still alive and is the one feeding the Separatist algorithm with the clone tactics. And so, like, right off the bat, when this episode starts, the, th the thing that just... Um, really sh sh uh, sh shown out to me was the how much more are a detailed uh, and articulated the character animation was um <laughs> looking back to just how wooden the faces were back in season one especially yeah. in the movie like uh, the the lips barely even like came close to matching the dialogue and now the characters are giving these full performances you know, through entirely through animation it's pretty incredible um Another thing that really improves just the lighting and the there's just there's a sense of depth and texture given to the lighting and th th I'm talking about the first two two arcs it, like it, it it improves exponentially in the last four arcs the four episodes but the first two arcs even then just the quality of the character animation and, and the just the lighting and just detail in the world it's still Clone Wars but it's just it it's like a whole nother level and you know the way probably I don't know if it's quite as far as probably like from season one to season four. I think it's about as much of a jump from season six to season five, what they've done here. At least. Yeah. I, I it's just the, what are the, the big thing to me? Well, the, I, I guess a couple big things is like the, the lighting, as you said, but just like the texture is just a whole other level. Like it's, it's insane. The, the level of detail just on a surface, you know, it's no longer just this kind of these, these flat, um, 2d kind of things it, it like you know wrinkles on the surface of people's faces and uh and actually like crevices and rocks and so it just it looks real it doesn't look like painted on like flat cardboard <laughs> like it sometimes did in the early seasons and the thing that separates the first the first eight episodes from the final four episodes is that the, like the Bad Batch, this was released. We know exactly what it was like. like they, they've added a couple scenes, but otherwise, it is beat for beat, shot for shot. You know what we saw in the previous animatics, you know, three four years ago. Um, so the cinema, the the cinematography, the staging, the camera movement, all of that is just like it would have been in season six. I think, but the funny thing is, if you watch closely, you can spot the added scenes, like the scene where. Uh, Anakin and Rex and Ahsoka, or I mean, I'm sorry, where Anakin uh, goes into the building with uh, to talk to Padme, and Rex is outside. You can tell that's a new a new scene just because it looks nice. The, the the camera work seems more intentional. The depth there's, they play with the depth of field and focus a lot more. Like you could just kind of spot where the the new bits have been added, but otherwise it, it's much more in the house style at the time. What's crazy is to me like watching this, I. I guess it's just because I didn't, maybe they were just really moving forward a lot in their, you know, their plans for the next seasons. But even between six and seven, this feels like even before Siege of Mandalore, this just feels uh, 
improved and bigger and more cinematic like the the it, it probably is you know they, they the, were... like the big moments to me though or like there are a lot of long takes that just feel different like just running through whenever they're charging the like the droid headquarter area just following in a single take the clones moving throughout the corridors and they, like they add that kind of like shakiness to the camera to make it feel you know like an actual camera as opposed to just this this lens floating through the air it, it just feels like they're like almost shot like a movie in a way so yeah one of the big changes that was made between uh for the for the bad batch episode in particular between the animatics and this one is that that conversation where rex reveals to cody in the barracks that he thinks uh echo might be alive uh whereas like we I, i'm pretty sure we don't find in the in the original episode we didn't even think about echo we didn't even think that echo might be alive until that final shot in the episode where we hear his voice and he's like oh echo's alive and i kind of i kind of like the original way better i was about to say i didn't know that but hearing that i i mean the way as it stands it's you know kind of just telegraphing what's gonna happen by bringing this up i feel like, yeah the, the the shock of echo's alive is is very much softened um, I, I guess he thought it made it more. He gave more of an emotional reason for Rex on this to be on this mission, but I I, I prefer the way it was. It's, it doesn't do anything. Um, so then we meet the Bad Batch. Um, you know, Clone Force ninety nine, and I love. You know, it's never acknowledged. Like, it, it, well, I think Rex is like ninety nine. Huh, that's neat. But like, that's named after ninety nine. You know, all the clones, wonderful uncle from Just puts uh, a tear in Clone Cadets, eye. and what's, what's the in- What's the other one with with the separatists invade Camino? Uh, oh, I just call it the Camino arc. I'm bad about episode names. Yeah. So yeah, it named after ninety nine. I love that touch. Um, and they got this awesome like gray armor with you know red stripes. Um, you've got Rambo, uh, who's called Hunter. Uh, you got the muscle uh, called Wrecker, the sniper, uh, who is called Crosshair, and then Tech, who is essentially the computer nerd. And uh, Crosshair is an a-hole. <laughs> He's just a jerk. We don't usually work with rigs. I, I kind of wish we got a bit more depth from these characters. They're all very much uh, you know, a trope. You know, the, the, big, the big muscular guy is kind of dumb. The sniper guy is kind of a jerk. Hunter is... He's Hunter, I guess. He's fine. And then you have the tech guy who's always, you know by my calculations and yeah. <laughs> doing all that stuff. I mean, you know, they're, they're fun together. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them, but I, I do wish they kind of since since the arc is literally about, you know, the individuality of the clones. Like I kind of wish they gave them a bit more personality rather, over just the tropes. Yeah. I think whenever we finished, I was talking with a friend and they're like, this is essentially just the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles copy and paste it into clones. Like you could find a direct one-to-one between them all. That's what I hear. I, I never watched that. Well, okay, take it back. I watched the Michael Bay remake movies. Oh, but wow. I haven't seen any of the <laughs> the animation. Man, those nineties one. Those the nineties movies are gems, man. So this one is entirely t- kind of takes place of various battles on um on an axis. Uh, I love the crystal forests, like these red, deep purple red trees that are actually turn out to be crystal. Like when the yeah. when the uh, the land the uh, lander crashes on it, or towards the end with the the separatist tanks, they're they're going through, and every time they hit a tree, it just kind of like shatters right there and there and falls. It's just a really cool touch, like yeah. and like just the the effect of the crash just looked really cool. Like yeah. seeing 
And again, this is another where you like you see the particles being scraped and and then all of the all of like the extra detail of, of the smoke effects and the yeah, it just looks great. They really love those long tracking shot crashes that would follow the ship just grinding through the ground. Like we get those all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and they go and they just kill everybody. Um like the droids, they don't stand a chance. <laughs> Wrecker up front just carrying the side of the uh the side of the ship and um the tech calling out coordinates to crosshair to shoot the grenades and just lots of fun teamwork and they kill everybody and uh Hunter has this kind of like vibro blade electric knife thing, which I I guess that's it looks cooler than a blaster, but I don't know that it's all that much more useful. The the characters who bring knives to gunfights are like it's never practical. It's always because this looks cool. It does look cool. Um so yeah, they go and they take they take a, an outpost tower, then they go to the cyber center. Um and it's you know it, it's fun. Like it, it there's very little to talk about because this this episode or most of these episodes are all pure action, but it's a lot of fun. Um the, the you mentioned that long take as they they're infiltrating the building and you got the the bad batch musical theme playing over it. It's like yeah, this is this is Clone Wars. I remember a lot of people complain like this is just action. Where's the story? I'm like, did you watch the Clone Wars by chance? <laughs> you know how many how many hours we've watched of uh you know clones and uh battle droids blast each other. Like this is this is what the show's about. Yeah. And it is cool and you're getting it again, so just shut up. Yeah. yeah. I I remember it was weird because I kind of fell into the trap initially of thinking like, all right, what kind of craziness? And it ended like halfway through. I was like, this is more Clone Wars, but that's a good thing. And so I kind of I didn't like I didn't lower my expectation. I just kind of changed, you know, I changed the expectation or like, OK, I, this is like several episodes I really love, you know, and then. I don't know. Once you stop putting everything that you need this last season to be, I, I find even the even the least of these episodes have something super enjoyable. Yeah, like we 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 rightfully point to arcs like Umbara or the Wrong Jedi, or you know, or uh, you know, uh, uh, Five's conspiracy arc as like you know this is you know some of the best Star Wars, and it is. But there are also there's like 120 episodes. And, you know, a lot of them, most of them are just good. Um, and I, I feel like people are really looking back on the Clone Wars series with these rose-colored glasses and, you know, having all of, since like 20, you know, 2014 till now with no Clone Wars, they really elevate it and put it on this pedestal. And now that we get more episodes that are just normal, good Clone Wars, they're like, this isn't good enough. Um, and the simple fact is like, we were never going to get entirely new episodes. Like, the, the reason it was one of the reasons it was canceled is because it was so expensive. And I'm sure the only reason he got 12 episodes was because he could point to like, we've already done, a, you know, half the work on some of these things. And so, you know, they, they reused a lot of these, these are, these are things like, I, it was so hilarious watching people blame Disney for this. Like yeah. these episodes would have come out in a lesser state, you know, in 2014, if it hadn't been canceled, like this is, this is, these are literally these scripts that were written <laughs> for the for under George Lucas, so uh, fans are funny. That's the, that's why I was so happy that Siege of Mandalore was just as mind-numbingly amazing as it was. Because I'm like, by the end of like arc 
of the second arc, I was like, if they don't land this one, I'm not going to be able to hear the end of the, look at what Disney did to Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you know, yeah, it ended differently. Which, in this case, the Disney stuff is amazing, and the Lucas stuff is just good. <laughs> Take that! Uh. <laughs> there are, like, just talking about, you know, the episode itself, there are things that I did like a lot. Like, I like a lot of the visuals of just as much of an a-hole as uh, as crosshair is like i think it's really cool seeing through the scope that was like a a really cool effect the way they had uh oh i was getting major flashbacks to uh, battle the original battlefront 2 yes with the the way the scope looked and stuff yeah just getting off loads of headshots which i totally did Mm -hmm. back then so the next episode is a distant echo this one was directed by Stuart lee and written by matt mishnovitz uh dave filoni and brett friedman um one thing about that uh, is that uh, I think the reason Dave Filoni gets a writing credit on this one is simply due to the, the, the you know the one Anakin Padme scene that was an insert oh. uh, because it, because that's usually not how these arts work. You, you have the the credited writers they write it, and so the fact that he has a writing credit leads me to think that it's just for that one scene. Gotcha. In this episode, uh, Anakin, Rex, and the Bad Batch launch a dangerous rescue mission under the assumption that Echo might be alive. Uh, the last infiltration leads them to Skako Minor, where after a brief skirmish with the natives, they trace Echo's signal to Wat Tambor's facility, where they discover Echo alive, being used as a living computer by the Techno Union. Isn't Wat Tambor Matthew Wood? Yes. I don't know why I find him so cool. I think the, the exact voice. same. I re- like I remember one of the things that I liked the most as I was watching through the Clone Wars was like all of those weirdo looking aliens in like the council meetings and Attack of the Clones. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, they get their own little arcs, and I I know who Wat Tambor is now, and yeah. So I always kind of get excited when we see those guys show up. He's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he always reminds me of Zerg. Yeah. So the really great scene in this is where uh, we we see uh, Rex kind of uh, standing cover for um, you know for Anakin as he goes and has a secret a quick secret chat with Padme over Skype. So we get this very sweet scene um, between Anakin and Padme, who apparently Anakin is not very observant because she she you can definitely start seeing some you know, <laughs> a bit of a baby bump going there. But then we get. <laughs> obi-wan walks up and just the conversation nothing sir just waiting for you just waiting for the general general i, I love that you know, he says you know general general you'll have to do better than that captain <laughs> he's just um and, you know there's, there's just the whole thing anakin comes out and he's just obfuscating as he walks away i hope you at least told padme i said hello and they just look at each other and walk away i just love that that we know obi-wan is not an idiot and he totally knew what was going on um, you know, we kind of get that confirmation event to the Sith was like, your Anakin's the father, isn't he? Um, but, but going back to here, we just like, of course he knew Anakin, Anakin could not keep a secret to save his life. Um, and I love that he and Rex are going through all these just bumbling maneuvers to try and keep it from knowing, but he already knows. Although it is, you know, I was kind of taken aback by, by the moment though. Cause I don't, was there any confirmation prior to this point that, that Rex knew it all? And now we, we see him not only knowing, but like colluding with anakin to keep it a secret i mean rex is his guy like if he's ever on any kind of mission it's with rex and anakin the 501st so have they interacted together i guess has rex ever met padme uh i'm not sure actually 
I mean, maybe the fact that he never stops yammering about Padme maybe tipped him off. I guess it's just a, it's a, like a crazy, like I I like the scene and it's funny and it's it, it's enjoyable. But to me, like by the end of it, my big takeaway was like, whoa, like Obi Wan. Obviously, there was a suspicion because of the question he asked Padme in Revenge of the Sith. But for him to just come out and be like, you know, you know, tell Padme I said hi or whatever it is, I'm like, oh, so you, I don't know. I guess it's also more indicting for obi-wan like you i don't know he he knew as much as he did and just continued to play the brother figure. i mean he also has his own history of you know illicit romances and all that so i think he's probably kind of like yeah who am i to judge yeah i want to go back and i remember they have a conversation during some of the Mandalore stuff, whenever Satine was involved, uh, Voyage of Temptation. But then, like, I, I remember that the conversation gets somber at a point, and it Obi Wan seems to imply that he may know things, and like, there's some level of sympathy that I feel like he extends Anakin. Yeah. So then they go on their mission. There's these crazy Politech guys on giant dragon beasts, and there's this crazy uh, f- flying action scene where Hunter's like hanging behind one of them off a cable. Um, I love the sound of the Politex language. This really weird, like guttural, like booming voice thing they have going on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And another thing I liked, I liked seeing through like the eyes of the helmet as we see like the the language translated in real time. Oh yeah, that's things like that's that's really, just cool. really cool to see in like a cartoon show. Yeah, they they get through the Politex. They don't want the war on their planet. It's kind of similar to what we saw in uh, Jedi Crash and Defenders of the Peace. And as usual, the Republic just doesn't really care about the locals that much. Or what they want. <laughs> um, then we go to the you know, we go to the, the tech the techno union uh, location. I love the I love how the techno union is like this really this kind of old classic Hollywood steampunk look. Yeah. Uh, it's all you know brass knobs and dials and coils and these every everything is rounded. There's a there's a physicality to a lot of it of like like the, here it's not just like a, a flat screen and you hit buttons. There is kind of like you said that steampunk knob kind of there's there's a button and a switch and all of like there's something for it It, i don't know it feels like that old pulpy sci-fi look that i like a lot and i i love the the whole the whole politics thing like the trade federation the techno union has you know corporate neutrality despite the fact that they're almost openly you know allied with the separatists they still have neutrality i always love the little touches like that yeah um, does the, the, the droids, like, I, they're probably even more useless than the B1 battle droids, the Techno Union droids. Like, I, I feel like they're probably, like, an older model. They look a little rickety. <laughs> these, these weird little bird-shaped things with this crest on their head. And I, I like that we just, it's, it's a really cool world-building thing. You know, the Trade Federation, they have their droids. The Techno Union, they have their own, bat, you know, battle droids. And they're absolute garbage. And they, all, <laughs> they all die very badly. <laughs> What exactly is it they're bringing to the table? I wonder. That's a good question. Yeah, they don't even look all that that intimidating. Like at least like the the super battle droids, like those at least they look scary. Yeah. And they're kind of halfway dangerous. <laughs> but these guys, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, there's a whole lot more fighting. Uh, they find they find Echo in this really creepy scene where the the thing opens up and he just like falls out onto his wires. And you have all the atmospheric uh, mist and this this really like harsh, gross-looking lighting. Ugh, it's horrible. Yeah, it, like all of the the weird, uh, like plugins around his head. It's it's really it's like the Matrix. Yeah, it's really off-putting. 
uh, I guess, you know, it, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Disney was like, all right, fine. You know, you'll keep it as is, the creepiness and all. Because it's a, it's a really effective image, just him falling out. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they've they've kind of walked back on the the the, the attempt the brief attempt at family friendliness with the Star Wars stuff. They're like, okay, beheadings, go for it, knock yourself out. We love them. The, the I love that they don't, they barely they don't even highlight it, but he's got like this robotic arm and a robotic legs, like he's half machine. All machine these different ports coming out. Yeah, it's kind of nasty. So the next episode is uh, on the wings of Kiridax. This one was directed by Os- uh, Bosco NG and uh, written by Matt Mishnovitz and Brett Friedman. Uh, Anakin, Rex, and the Bad Batch escape Wat Tambor's facility with Echo and fight their way past techno-union droids. Uh, they retreat to the native village and with the help of the locals defend Echo from reinforcements sent by Wat Tambor to recapture the techno-union's experiment. Yeah, uh, so th- this one is, is the, the shortest episode of the season. It's, it's like just 17 minutes, I think. And it's pretty much wall-to-wall action, which might be why I love it so much. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun, this constant movement. Uh, there's one deleted scene. Um, in the original cut, uh, when Wat Tambor at, you know, and all, had all the droids out, outside the door, and he was talking to them, you know, he, 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 uh, and he's, what, what's the thing called? Is it the decimator? I think so. Um, yeah, the decimator? Uh, in the original version, before he sent it into the room, uh, he, te- he demonstrated its, its, its effect on one of the Politech natives. Oh, wow. Um, killing him, and, th- and then he sent him in. Um, and that was cut out. I'm not entirely sure why, but honestly, I kind of wish it wasn't, because the choice... Because originally, when they fly back to the village, and the Politech's are like, what are you doing here? Like, you've done the one thing that we didn't want you to do. You brought the war to us. And he's like, well, uh, look what they've done to our guy. You know, you have a choice now. You know, there's no neutrality. Uh, like he gives this kind of self-right. Rex gives this very self-righteous speech that doesn't entirely work in my opinion. Like, okay, they hurt your guy, but they didn't hurt us yet. So I feel like if they had if they had that scene that showed uh, Wat Tambor killing one of the natives, they could have said, you know, you know, they're hurting our guys. They're hurting your guys. They don't care about you. You know, to, to, you know, to them, you are nothing. You know, sooner or later, they're going to conquer you. So you have to join us. Like that would be a much more, I think, a much more compelling argument. You know, pointing literally pointing to the dead body of one of their friends rather than, um, you know, kind of self righteously saying you, you have to make a choice because we need your help. I feel like that's how the Republic made a lot of their alliances throughout the Clone Wars series of just being like. Well, I know you were neutral, but we are pretty cool, aren't we? Now you're going to join. Also, look at that giant army coming. You got five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they break out. They fly on the uh, on the, um, on the Kyridex. And that's a scene that reminded me a whole lot of, uh, of um, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire from the yes. Hobbit. Yep, I was. the Eagles. I, I joked with my sister. I was like, they're one moth short of just, like, recreating the scene. So the visual of the droids, though, fly, like, really cool oh, those like weird solar panel wings yeah like super thin looking yeah that was cool they fly now <laughs> they fly now yeah so then we got the uh the uh they're called octopara magna trigeroids i think is what they're called those big giant uh you know the, the three-legged tripod droid things look, look like from uh world of the worlds uh, they get those and drop down the village. And I, I love this battle. It's like crazy intense and like people are dying all over the place. 
And then once it's down to like the clones versus those droids and they're like running around and the feet are stomping and these giant blasts. Like, it's like really intense, like the climax of, uh, of like Saving Private Ryan kind of stuff going on. Yeah, I I liked it because they you could really sell the sense of scale with those. Um, yeah. And it just like like every stomp and it, like the kind the little shake in the camera. And it just it made it feel like a big battle. Um, and I like the way they take them out too. You know, it, it doesn't always, it, most of the time it didn't really feel cheap. They were actual tactics to bring them down instead of, you know, like we shot them a lot. Um, yeah. So like, there's not a lot as far as like themes and characters, just lots of blasting, but I like blasting. So, Hey, there you go. All right. So the final episode is unfinished business. This one is directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. And of course, uh, written by the two previously mentioned fellows. Um, so this is going back to bait, the base on an axis. Uh, so now that the separatists no longer have their precious algorithm, Mace Windu decides to mount an all-out assault to retake the planet. He and Obi-Wan will invade the droid factories while Anakin and the Bad Batch will infiltrate Admiral Trench's flagship. Oh yeah, Admiral Trench is around. Um, and then feed him false tactics, you know, feed false tactics to him and the droid because the Techno Union has not yet informed Trench that they lost Echo. Um, so the attack begins, and they infiltrate the ship. Echo feeds Trench the bad tactics and sends, you know, gathers and gathers all the droids together and sends out a pulse to disable them all at once. Uh, but Trench had planted a really big bomb on the planet, so Anakin goes and confronts him to get the code to disable it, uh, which he feeds to Mace Windu. Uh, the bomb is disabled, uh, but Trent, Trench acts up and Anakin kills him, and then lets Wrecker blow up the flagship as they head home. Back at base, Echo decides to join the Bad Batch to put his unique new abilities to use with them. Uh, I, I like I like Trench. We've seen him like he apparently like I guess in the pilots. So weird thinking that he he kind of apparently died quote unquote in the pilot episode. Well, not quite the pilot, but the pilot episode. If you watch it chronologically, chronologically yeah. which you should. Exactly. Um, but then he he came back in the the Five's conspiracy arc. Um, he was the kind of the commanding officer there, and he has like the so robot. I, I forgot that. I thought that they had resurrected him here, uh, but I com- I I had to go back and look it up. I forgot that they had already brought him back. Yeah, I, but I love like he's, like the three of his arms are mechanical, yeah. and like one of the giant fang things. What are those called? Man- mandibles or whatever. <laughs> and I love his voice, which is also Dee Bradley Baker. Like he's all over these episodes. He's just fun, and I think the crazy thing is. I really like Mace Windu in this arc. I think he's great. Um, and so I've kind of come up with this theory that Mace Windu is an excellent jet wartime general who has absolutely no business being involved in politics. <laughs> um, like, because the way, you know, if this trooper has a plan, I'd like to hear, like, he, he's, you know, he's, he's intelligent. He's, you know, very respectful of his, his peers, um, and also, like, when he goes into battle, he has that amazing speech, you know, I am General Mace Windu of the Jedi Order. At this point in the Clone Wars, I have dist- dismantled and destroyed over 1,000 of you B- your B-1-type battle joints. And he just goes on and on, and then he offers them to surrender. And they don't take him. <laughs> it's like his epic speech. And, like, towards the end, as the, you know, when the bomb is going to be exploding, you know, he doesn't hesitate. He runs in there himself. Uh, you know, don't worry about me, Captain. Just get your man out of here. You, you know, make sure his, his men are safe. And, like, even going back to the, uh, the Rylog. Yes, I love him in that one. Remember when he pulls the he like shatters the glass and pulls the pilot out of the the tank? Like he he seems to be a really good conscientious general. 
it's just like when he has to play politics, I, I feel like he brings this wartime mentality, this very black and white wartime mentality to politics that makes all the all the compromises. You know, he, he thinks you know it's about power and, and taking what you can. And, you know, it's all about trying to get the advantage and winning. So he, he's just out to win when it comes to the politics. So that's why he does so many compromises. I feel like they should they, he should never come to the council. Just let him be. He's the guy they send out, you know, to fix the problems. <laughs> Nope. They gave him power and he turned into evil. <laughs> like, like, did you get that feeling at all watching him here? Well, yeah, because I've, I've kind of felt that, especially with Ryloth, is just, I don't know, it's really, you want, you separate him from the other leads and put him in these other stories. And I end up really liking him usually. Like, even whenever, like, he, he certainly annoyed me in the Zillow Beast one because he, he is coming on to another planet and imposing you know his own will on a sovereign planet but it does draw the like that imposing his will doesn't sound like miss windu ah no sorry this is one time slip up but uh but like you still get that idea of having that sense of right and wrong that kind of principle that guides him and he just has to be an a-hole about it so often (laughs) uh yeah then there's this gigantic battle and they they go and infiltrate the ship and send send out the false coordinates. That was really cool. Like where he's about to send the coordinates and text like, no, no, wait, you got to make it look like it it came from a Skako Miner, or else they'll know we're on the ship. Just, I love that they, they throw in they throw in these little details to the infiltration mission. Yeah. Then we get the best scene of the movie uh, in the episode where Anakin goes and confronts Trench. Dooku would kill me for losing an axis. Do you think I won't? You're a Jedi. You have nobility. <laughs> he just cho- chops off half of his arms. I have no such weaknesses. I always I love when they they let Clone Wars Anakin go dark. Yep. Then he you know he goes to try shock him. And he just like just goes and stabs him through. Uh, but like the the death rattle, um, and just the line, Admiral, it's been a pleasure. As he's like quivering on the floor. <laughs> That's from like man, Anakin. I can buy him going dark. He he definitely likes likes it when it gets intense like that. Uh, and we get some more awesome blast. You know, time to release the wrecking ball. <laughs> this is the final quivering joint. Not in the face. Not in the face. Um, and then Crosshair tosses out his little mirrors over the wall and takes out a few a few dozen droids with one shot. That was a really cool effect. I don't think that's how it works. Wouldn't that doesn't? I mean, wouldn't the energy expend itself after one or two droids? No, stop thinking about it. It looks cool. <laughs> like you. you Mirrors don't work quite that way. You need know, very precise angles. Just mm. tossing it on the wall. It doesn't. That is not how it works. Okay. I, and I made <laughs> I made the justification for it in my mind. I'm like, okay, these these are. It's not just mirrors. This is calibrated. You know, it's it's. They're smart mirrors. Yeah, exactly. There's some sense of intentional pull or push one way or the other. <laughs> I need it to work because I think it looks cool. And then uh, I love it. Uh, Anakin got the present for Wrecker, <laughs> the self-destruct detonator. This is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> yeah, and, and something I noticed when they get back to base, like the, the clone, the clone armor is like slowly starting to look more and more like the stormtrooper armor. That was something that I noticed like the most in the last arc. But even here, you can start to see it. You know, it's it's hidden by by the like because these clones are kind of more in the background. But but yeah, I thought the same. I'm like, oh, we're we're getting there. Yeah, there's more like plain white, less color and markings and all of that. 
Yeah, so then uh, the Bad Batch offers Echo a place on their team, and Rex, you know, Rex encourages them to join, and they all turn around and salute, and it makes you cry. Uh, I, I I like Echo's new suit, and he's got the he's got the uh, what, what 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 is it called? The little arm the droids use to plug into the terminals. The little um, arm is what it's called. Yeah, he's got one of those thing thingamajiggers. I, I I really wish we could have gotten that you know, that that next Bad Batch arc on Kashyyyk. Yeah. So yeah, as far as like this arc. It's not amazing. Like there's there's not a huge amount in way of characters. You know, Rex is awesome. His loyalty to Echo is cool. Gets some great Anakin moments. But most of all, it's just kind of fun, classic Clone Wars action. Not the greatest, not the, you know, but uh, good, good, solid, great. Yeah, that's how I think about it. I, I, like, like I said at first, there's the moment of like rechecking expectations, uh, and at that point, then it's just fun to watch. You know, I'm I'm not. I, I'm definitely not always enjoying uh, all of the members of the Bad Batch. I I felt the same way as you. Just you know, I I wish there was a bit more personality, and just four episodes of the big dumb guy and the a hole sharpshooter and the like. It starts to get a little bit much. I think they, this could have been a three episode arc pretty well. I don't yeah. think you would have lost much of anything. And that's the episodes. other thing I really like. You know the the second and third episode there's there's not really a lot of i feel like you could have made like just blended those in together and maybe i don't know it, it definitely feels as if there's maybe one action scene too many and but it's fun so i'm not gonna complain yeah uh so you have the next arc uh, this is this is the one that from what i've seen gets definitely the most hate i actually what no yeah i enjoyed it maybe that's controversial um, but this is the Ahsoka's walkabout arc. Uh, the first episode is uh, episode five, Gone with a Trace. This one was directed by Saul Ruiz and Kyle Dunleavy and written by Filoni and Charles Murray. Uh, after crashing her speeder in the lower levels of Coruscant, Ahsoka Tano befriends Trace Martas, who offers to help work on her speeder. Some thugs come to ask Trace for some money her sister Rafa owes them. Trace and Ahsoka fight them off. Ahsoka then helps work on some of Rafa's droids, which turn... Uh, I'm going to let this big truck drive by. Oh, I'm so ready to find a new place. <laughs> Ahsoka then helps work on some of Rafa's droids, uh, which turn out to be violence-prone. By secretly using the Force, Ahsoka helps Trace deactivate them in the streets. Um, and so for some more uh, theorizing, you know, completely ignorant theorizing for me. Um, so similar to the first four episodes, what I think happened here was the reason this has two directors is because, you know, back in 2012... They had a director originally working on it, you know, doing all the layout, and then it ended. And then I think when they came back, whereas whereas I think the first four episodes were complete enough to where those directors kept their original credit, I think they had to bring in new directors for each of these four episodes to fit to complete it. Which is why these episodes, the first three at least, have have um you know each have two directors, which is not the norm. So I think yeah, they, I think they brought in new directors to to finish them, and the same with I think this would have originally have been Charles Murray's arc. He's the writer behind the uh, the Wrong Jedi arc. This was his arc, and then you know when they rewrote it, you know four or five years later, that's why Dave Filoni gets the credit, you know, because because of, of that. So that's I think that's how it went down. Could could entirely be wrong, but that makes sense to me. Well, I think it's garbage, but what? I'm just kidding. Probably. So this again was another arc that was was planned. Uh a lot of changes have been made. Like it, 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 unlike the Bad Batch, it wasn't released entirely. However, we do have different animatics of it. Of the two animatics I saw, 
I, I sent them to you. I don't know if you got to watch them. Was uh the the crash where so you know her speeder bike her speeder breaks down as she's going into the hole and like, that whole kind of near crash thing, that is completely identical to the old animatics. And also the the scene where uh, where the gangster Pintu comes in, and they have this scrap where he's looking for his money. Like that is pretty much shot for shot, just with the character replaced. And the character that's replaced would have been a male character called Nixokami, who would have been the petty criminal slash mechanic that Ahsoka befriends. Instead, for this, for when when they uh, decided to redo it for Disney Plus, his character was replaced with the two sisters, uh, the, you know, Trace and Rafa Martez. Um, and Filoni's reasoning behind that was pretty much he just wanted to Ahsoka to have female friends. Like she hadn't, she, I guess. Up going back all the way, it would have been going all the way back to season two with Barris Ophi on the, the, the second invasion of Geonosis. Since then, she hasn't really had just a female friend. Um, all her interactions would have been like with like mentor figures. So he just wanted to give her a female friend, uh, or female friends for this final arc. Um, and you know, we'll talk about later about how well that worked, but that was kind of his reasoning. So they replaced the character. But the crazy thing is, like, when you watch the animatics of that fight in, in, the, in the garage, in the it's literally the same thing, just with Nick Sokami taken out and, and uh, Trace Martez pasted over. So I'm not entirely sure how much of the original layouts they reuse and how much had to be made new. Occasionally, there are there are scenes that I could spot that are definitely new just because the cinematic style has shifted a little bit. But uh, it'd be very interesting to find out just exactly how much they, ha- they were able to, to recycle. So like these these arcs this arc is very uh, controversial. However, I like unequivocally totally like this first episode, the one gone with the trace. I do too, and uh, I guess I could just say now I actually even prefer this one to the Bad Batch arc, just the arc overall. But I'm sure we'll talk the, about the arc. The as arc whole or the end. episode? Uh, the arc and the episode. Like I I I I would agree about I like this episode better than the Bad Batch arc. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty simple. You know, Ahsoka's just zooming along. That shot of her going over the pipes is just so epic. Yes. Um, the kind of the sense the sense of vertigo they're able to get as she goes over the edge, and it's like the crash is pretty fun. Like just the visuals, uh, they're able to get as she's you know flying along, running the walls, and jumping over speeders as the things going down. It's 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 kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, and, you know, Coruscant is my favorite planet in Star Wars, and so I'm always cool to just, like, drive around and see different areas. I always thought, like, these massive, like, these holes in in the surface is kind of how you move between all of these levels. I always thought that was cool, so just flying around it is neat. Uh, and, you know, people claim that the, uh, the chase scene at the beginning of Attack of the Clones is too long, but I like it just because we get to see more of the planet. So anytime we get this, I'm like, this is this is cool. Yeah, and she you know she goes and crash lands at a repair shop. And like, I got me thinking, like, do do coincidences exist in a galaxy that has the Force? Like, did the Force disable her speeder so that she could go there and meet them and go to the you know go to the Pikes and discover Maul and go there, then go to Mandalore? Like, is this all the will of the Force guiding her? Who knows? That's the thing. I I had to really you know whenever people accuse. Uh, DJ in the last episode, like, oh, what are the odds you get sent? Blah, blah blah. That's when I was like, okay, you know what? Whenever we, whenever the the franchise has the force in it, once you have to accept the variable of the force, like criticism of coincidence to me just goes out the window. I just <laughs> slap on the will of the force and move on. Yeah, yeah. So this is where we meet uh, Trace Martez, uh, and then later her sister Rafa. Um, and I, I like both of them in this episode. I, I as it goes, I start to develop some problems with the characters. 
but I, I think they're fun. You know, Trace is, seems to be she's a bit younger than Ahsoka, kind of you know, kind of naive. I uh, she thinks she has street smarts, but I, she really doesn't. Um, and just you know, a kind of a, a friendly face. Um, you know, why are you helping me? Shouldn't I? Seems like the right thing to do. Just someone you know for, for to to be a friend to Ahsoka when she needs it at this time. Because like like she, this is she just left the Jedi Order. I'm guessing it's a couple days afterward because you know costumes changed, but. Like she just left behind the only life she knew, and I think that that's why this arc is vital. A lot of people are wondering, like, why are we having this arc? Who are these sisters? I don't care about them. Like, what does this matter? Who cares about the Pikes? But like, this arc is is absolutely vital because we have to get Ahsoka from you know that shot of her of her back walking away from the Jedi from Anakin and the Jedi Order. We have to get her from there, you know, from the lowest point in her entire life to fully back and committed to the fight you know, jumping off of, you know, jumping from landing craft to landing craft on Mandalore. Like, you can't just take her from there to there. You know, there's a massive amount of, you know, journey of, like, who, like, who is she now? She, you know, she's not a Jedi anymore. What is her place in the galaxy? And, you know, it, were, were the Jedi wrong? Is the is the entire idea of Jedi something that that is just, that isn't, that is now just a negative? So, like, she, it's her meeting the, you know, meeting these characters on, on a street level you know, find in essentially rediscovering what being a Jedi means and what the, you know, what the Jedi have lost and what she, what in kind of the light that she herself can be to the to the galaxy. You know, whether or not she calls herself a Jedi, it's, it's rediscovering a purpose in life. So, like, I, I I get it. These aren't my favorite episodes either, but they are they are necessary. Yeah, and I you know we got a bit of this in the wrong Jedi arc, especially with the uh, the beginning uh, the first episode, uh, just seeing public sentiment. And her being confronted with a lot of people don't like the Jedi. And, you know, she's she's so isolated from all of that because she is a Jedi. So she gets that first taste of, of dissenting opinion. And now, after she gets burned, she's thrown right into that. And I, I don't know, I think, you know, I, I think it'll work even better just on a straight binge marathon. But going... You you understand why she hides her identity even more. Like remember the the anti Jedi protests at the the like in the first episode of the Wrong Jedi arc. Yeah, and so going from that into this, I think it actually works really well. Mm. And I like that Ahsoka is just kind of she's just wandering with she has no sense of direction, and so uh, she just kind of latches her on, latches herself on to this your repair shop and this this girl who seems desperate for company. Um, and she's like. Okay, I got nothing else to do, so I'll, I'll stay here for a while. And there was a really cool kind of line that just Tra- Trace throws out offhand, like you know, the Jedi and the and the war they started. Like the Jedi didn't start the war. I, I love that, even though Ahsoka walked away from the Jedi Order, she still feels you know she's connected to them. She has to defend them yeah. against any attacks. And then you know, the Pintu, the Lone Shark, comes in. Uh, he's actually voiced by uh, Bobby Moynihan, who voices Orca in um in Resistance. Nice, Orca. I get Flix and Orca mixed up. Orca is the bird-like one, right? Uh, I thought it was the other way, but I get them mixed up as well, so I'm probably wrong. Oh no, no, no. Okay, the the bird-like one is Jim Rash. Okay, so okay, he's he's the the uh, the uh, the the weird vampire bat dude, <laughs> which he, actually he looks more like a pig, but he's based on the the, the bat guy from the the uh, the cantina in the New Hope. Oh. You know the little guy like reaching up for the glass. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So he—that's who he is, voiced by. Um, 
it's just I love I love hand to hand combat in the Clone Wars. Just the way they kind of visualize martial arts and the the Jedi with their you know, their special powers fighting. It's it's just so fun to see her kind of go into action. Yeah, the the shot where we're just seeing her like spin around the table and like move from punch to kick like it looks it looks cool and it's this kind of action is also another reason why i prefer this to like the tartakovsky series is just it looks very physical and real and choreographed and i don't know it's way more engaging to watch because you don't just have the blank slate to do whatever you got to make it look like the punches connect and there's an like an actual fighting style yeah and I have the line, you know, where did you learn to fight like that? My older brother taught me. Yeah. And everyone's hearts just broke. <laughs> um, so then we meet Rafa, who is the, her older sister. Uh, she has a laundromat that she uh, uses as a front for her criminal endeavors. And she's super shifty and she has a really uh, um, kind of uh, sleazy looking fur coat. Uh, I immediately thought of uh, Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems. Oh. When we met her. Just this nice. The kind of person who's all who's just making promises to every single person they meet, and you're just constantly full of plans and always looking for the next deal and the next the next hustle. They get to, they get a job to uh, to repair some droids, <laughs> um, which doesn't turn out very well. <laughs> the shot of a the herd of Tuka cats or Loth cats running out of the alley <laughs> before you know, in front of the droid as he runs out uh, made me chuckle. Uh, I, I I really like the sound design uh, for the droid and the the way it just kind of moves as it's like rampaging. It's like a big gorilla, just like yeah, bur- you know, crashing everything in the city. And the chase itself is pretty cool to me. Yeah, good fun. Uh, you know, flying a forklift around. Um, and I like that Ahsoka just kind of the way she just immediately jumps into action. Like this is who she is. Um, she she does she doesn't she might not know how to you know to actually live her life, but the moment you know she sees a need. With you, without even thinking, she just jumps in and does what needs to be done. And she uses she uses the force to pull the droid over the edge, and the little the little uh, Twi'lek kid spots her. Uh, it was cute. And this is where you get kind of the conflict between uh, Ahsoka and Rafa, where ah- Ahsoka thinks they should destroy the droids because they're so obviously dangerous, and Rafa, you know, you know, being the hustler she is, just doesn't care. And so we get kind of the arguing back and forth of, you know, moral responsibility and or, you know, you can't do this because it's wrong. And, and Rafa's is like, well, we got to eat. We got to make a living. And this is what the world's like. And that the whole aspect of Ahsoka, you know, coming from this very sheltered order where all of her needs were taken care of. I mean, sure, she had she had she did have to you know lead troops into battle at like 15 years old. But you know, as far as she didn't really she had so little interaction with normal people and and no very little understanding of what it was life is like for a normal person in the galaxy and so kind of coming face to face with people who are you know very very poor and you're struggling and you know, who have these illegal enterprises but they but for them you know this this is how i eat if i don't if i don't take take on this job and do all these different things i you know i'm not going to eat my sister's not going to eat and so just the kind of bringing Ahsoka from this very very black and white you know corruption criminals that all that's evil to you know, now being forced to get to know these people and see that you know not not everything is as simple or as easy as she once thought that's always that's always just an interesting thing that i think the clone wars did really well it's just kind of just muddying the waters a bit and yeah. making everything a bit more gray and complicated mm. i love gray and complicated mm-hmm. and it's weird because you know star wars is so famous for just the very clean black and white 
but then you whenever it starts to yeah, layer up until empire no there you go. <laughs> but i mean i'm just in terms it's like the go-to good versus evil with you know rebels and empire and whenever they start muddying the waters in the war it's i don't know it's it makes things way more interesting to me yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even – I can't even think about Star Wars like that anymore. Like, sure, we have three movies like that, and then we have three prequel movies, and then we have 120 Clone Wars episodes. Like, the amount of time, just sheer hours that I have spent in a far more complicated Star Wars completely outweighs the the more black and white. Yeah. And then we shows. even start to, like, blur – not blur the lines, but start making things more hazy with things like Rogue One. <laughs> we can't even leave yeah. the uh... – the original alone which i'm okay with that though uh some things that i are something that i really liked about this first episode as well was just you know after the very action heavy bad batch arc uh i actually just really liked her conversations with trace and we're just walking like sitting around in the little mechanic shop working on mm-hmm. the bike working on the ship talking about each other's lives it's like it is i kind of knew in my mind that well no i watched it after so I already knew about the controversy. So watching this episode, I was understanding why people didn't like it. But I was like, I'm I'm super okay with just some downtime right now. Ahsoka is one of my favorite characters. And I actually really like Trace, especially in this first episode. And so just them having like this nice, innocent friendship divorce from like the bigger wars going on, I really enjoyed. Yeah, like I have no problems with this episode. Like, it, Sure, it's very low-key, but... It's setting up the arc and you know introducing the characters. We get to know them and have a, a fun little chase with robots. Like it, it's it's good stuff. Um. So next episode is deal or deal no deal. This one is directed by Stuart Lee and Nathaniel Villanova. Um. And whereas all of the other directors we mentioned, they're part of the stable of directors that was for Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance. Uh, Villanova was a storyboard artist on Rebels and Resistance, uh, but then he directed three episodes of the final season himself. Uh, those are his so far his first and only directorial credits. But seeing as they even gave, like, he directed the series finale. So I'm guessing that Filoni really likes him, and I, I, I will probably see a lot more of him uh, in the future. Judging by his episode, I'm okay with that because yeah. it's some of the best directed action in Clone Wars, in my opinion. Yeah, so uh, Rafa comes, comes to the shop with a new scheme, and she needs Trace and her ship. Uh, Ahsoka comes along, much to Rafa's irritation, and it turns out the hustle is picking up spice from Kessel and transporting it to the pikes on Obadiah, or Obadiah, one of those. Um, on the way, Ahsoka and Rafa get into an argument over the ethics and dangers of spice running. Uh, Trace goes temporarily insane and decides to dump the priceless cargo into hyperspace. So Ahsoka has to scramble and try to come up with a plan to try and force, you know, force mind trick the pikes into accepting empty containers. It doesn't work, and they are all captured by the very grubby gangsters. So I, I think this is where I start to have issues with this arc. And I think the main problem is this, everything takes so long. They just really, really take their time with these, these three episodes, and every single plot movement and beat is like a minute longer than it should be, and it kind of adds up. Um, I, I was still on board at the end of this. I was getting a little antsy. Um, you know, we have the whole thing of kind of the, the escalating trouble they're getting into was, was kind of fun, but just so little happens for the amount of time that we're spending. And I think also, whereas I, like, I like Trace and Rafa on their introduction. I feel like what this episode reveals that they 
the kind of the limits that those characters have as far as depth. Um, I was starting to kind of get annoyed with them after this episode. And I think the fix would have been to combine Trace and Rafa into one character and make them male. <laughs> Which, I, and I, I think, I, an issue, I understand Filoni wanting to to have this this female friendship, which I, which I think would have been cool, except I don't think Filoni wrote them as very interesting characters. I think, you know, maybe if they if they brought in a female writer or just a, a male writer who, who could write these girls better and give them more layers and depth, I think would have been, would have been great. But I don't think either is a terrible, interesting character with, ter- with all that much depth. And so after a while, it just feels like we're recycling the exact same conversations over and over again between the characters. And I think if it had been, I think just there is a different dynamic when Ahsoka is with a guy. I th- I th- I'm thinking back to uh, a friend in need where she's with, um, with what's his name? Uh, uh, Lux Bonteri. I think there's, there's like a little, it's kind of a tension, a slight antagonism. There could just be like a little, you know, you don't have to go full romance, but you can just have a little bit of flirtiness. Like, I feel like if, if it was with a dude, there could have just been like all these little touches of interaction and chemistry that they could have built up that just isn't present with uh, Trace and Rafa. And it just kind of, it kind of gets boring with those two characters, right? I feel like if we could have had someone where there just could have been more push and pull and kind of, and more, and uh, I think just, that, that could have had if it was a, with a male-female relationship, it would have made these episodes stronger and just more interesting moment to moment. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just way softer on, on this one than most people because I don't know, I, I, maybe it's also just two of the criticisms you brought up was, you know, not a lot happens for the amount of time and that these characters don't have too much depth. For me, coming off of the bad And they're match, kind of annoying. <laughs> both of those, well, to me, both of those, especially coming off of the, the previous arc, there they were improvements here because i i feel like in the bad batch we like those middle two episodes almost nothing like we get battles but if you actually look at the amount of time it's like we were in this one place doing this one thing for a while and it's just kind of a series of action events and and so to me i feel like we we're seeing a lot more happen like i i never really felt like we were too slow and and i also i still like I like the two characters even even as they get annoying because I I don't know I feel like they're annoying in the way that they should and something that I liked about Trace was just she presents herself as, as that like that common trope of like the you may be you know like I, I'm street smarts and you know you're gonna need to stick with me but she's not even that and like she's just so sheltered by the older sister that she she's like I'm gonna solve the problem by doing the super stupid thing but when you imagine that every deal, every every way that they've ever provided for themselves has just come from Rafa, and she's like her decision making is the product of never actually making the decisions. I don't know. I, that moment even didn't really annoy me, and so I, I don't, I don't find the characters particularly shallow. I get why they're annoying, but but I don't know. I don't, I don't think that they're any less fleshed out than these kinds of characters normally would be. And I, I do kind of like what Filoni brought with the female presence. Like I, I like her and Trace's friendship and I, I like it. I like it just seeming like I uh, just, just wanted the group instead of the kind of the tension that we get. Cause I, I love the episodes with, with her and Lux Bonteri, but I kind of like that. We're not introducing those kinds of layers and tensions and, just letting Ahsoka try to be a leader without having to be like, oh, but 
did you see that like the look <laughs> I, I think another issue is that like they have you know to trace is the super naive sweet kid to the point of being an absolute moron and rafa is this super cynical street smart just to the point of just being incredibly unlikable like she's just so incredibly selfish and it just escalates as it goes where I I just don't like her that much. I think if they had combined that where you have a single character who has a level of street smarts and a level of cynicism, but also underneath is ultimately just kind of a naive kid who's in way over their heads. I think like if you just combine those, like you have sure they're, they're contradictory traits, but that's what makes a character fascinating is when they have those layers. So I think if, if that had been one character with the best, you know, the most interesting traits from both characters, it would have made you know b- the less extreme. You're just describing the annoying kid from the Mandalorian episode. <laughs> See, I I definitely prefer them to him, and I think something that I I like is because one of like when you combine them, I don't know. To me, it becomes a character that we see a lot with, which is like the not like capable but super over his head naive. Like I don't know. I oh, I feel like absolutely. Seen... But a cl- but the cliches are cliches because they work. <laughs> I just, I want to go to the cliche because I don't think Trace and Rafa work. But I think I think cliches work whenever you're able to flesh them out beyond the cliche. But in like just mm-hmm. in a just a singular. Or, is, like the Clone Wars ne- doesn't always have time. Like it, you know, it, it, they're always moving. They're having adventures. The twenty-two minute episodes. Like you don't always have time. So if if we have to have a choice between boring characters and fun characters. Give me the fun. Yeah, but uh, I and mean, that's that's where I guess we're disagreeing is because I I don't find them boring at all, and I I like splitting those two traits up between the two because it it feels like it's the reason they are that way feels more motivated. Like Rafa feels like she's somebody who is going to, you know, like she's protective to a fault of Trace, which is you know she's not. She's not her go-to, you know, for these flying missions and just this very overprotective, oversheltered life she's trying to create. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be the one to provide. But she also gets regularly beaten up by, you know, uh, loan sharks who come to her looking for her sister's money. Like she's, well, I don't, she's I don't feel like with that was, things. was that. I don't think that that was meant to. be I mean, like, like the, the the moment he came in, she's like, "All right, let me handle this. I'll do the talking." Oh, like that's she, right. Well, she knows what's going on. Sure, but I don't know. Even still, it it feels like I don't know. I I like the dynamic that it creates by splitting the splitting it up. Like the one character who's gonna make these bad mistakes. Just I mean, it, it's a stupid decision, but it's also just because this person has probably never made a well, never made a, like a major decision ever. Like as as soon as the parents were probably taken out, I think Rafa, you know, became like. In, immediately took that upon herself. I was like, well, you know, it's just you and me. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And so Trace has just been like, you know, stay here. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make the deals. I'm going to do this. You just stay back here and work on your ship. And because of that, because of everything she's put on her own self, that's naturally made her more more jaded. Like she has to be this off-putting, this, I don't know. To it, the story just makes sense as opposed to like, well, here's an, here's the cliche you've seen a lot because I think to me why that wouldn't be fun is is just because it's just so familiar at that point as opposed to like, I it's don't know. As opposed to boring. <laughs> See, I, don't, I get not liking yeah, them, but I, I, I definitely I get, don't. I get what you're saying. I, I, I think there, there are merits to both sides. Ultimately, I just don't. 
I can respect the chance taken, but for me, I'd, I'll take the cliche if it works over a chance that misses. It didn't miss, but you know that. So, uh, yeah, like not a lot happens that they fly a lot. Uh, there's this really cool, mo- funny moment where, where Tr- uh, Trace has never flown before and she gets, you know, accidentally goes into the military lane. Like, I- I've always wondered, like, where are those people going? Like, when you see the shots of the spaceships in, in their lanes, like, where are they going? And apparently some of those lanes are strictly military. Um, and you have like, you are like, what are you doing? I'll have your pilot's license for this. And then we get that, like, that shot of Anakin. Uh, you know, sensing Ahsoka and they've said to each other as they fly by the bridge and it was really sweet. And then they go to Kessel and, and you know, flying through the storm with the guiding lights, all the stuff we saw from uh, Solo was really, really fun. That's what I loved so much is like, you know, seeing how this sort of changed now that Solo has been released. And I love that they just fully committed to the aesthetic that Solo created for it. Like from the, the storm itself down to like the actual spice mines, it is 100% what we saw. I, just, I got, It was one of those like super nerdy moments. So they go there and this is kind of where Trace starts. Like, I feel like I, I, the issue with Trace is I feel like she's coded younger than she looks. Cause like when she's in the, uh, when they're at the table with the, with, with the ruler guy and she's like, keeps jumping up and talking about, Oh, I have the fastest ship in the galaxy. And she keeps just yeah. jumping in and just jumping out of her seat. Like, she she acts younger than she looks, which just it makes her even more annoying. That's that's something that I I agree with. Is she definitely acts younger, and that's something that I find, you know, it's difficult to try to create that kind of character because you need her to be roughly Ahsoka's age. You know, you can make her a bit younger, but you need to be able to sell like a friendship as opposed to like a big sister dynamic for Ahsoka to have with her. And I just I don't know that that whole scene. I was getting flashbacks to maybe some of Ezra's more annoying moments in Rebel mm-hmm. Season 1. Are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I like the, the way Rafa's just constantly trying to rationalize, you know, if they were slaves, the Republic would have shut this place down. And then so it's like, yeah, you'd think they would. Kind of <laughs> showing her growing cynicism about what's going on. It was cool. We saw, we saw a Zygerian slaver. Um, kind of call back to that arc. Um, yeah, so they get the spice and they're going and then they, they start arguing and uh, just, I, I, I can't rationalize it. This is the, like what she does, like sure. Her big sister is arguing and now she gets mad and dumps the spice. Like I, even accepting she's incredibly naive, she still grew up on the street. She still knows the value of things. You gotta know you can't dump millions of dollars in a hyperspace. I just, it's so stupid. This is, this is it's essentially it's manufactured conflict, and and the danger of that is you 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 ultimately just break the characters. I think at that point, they they pretty much lost the audience on the character of Trace, and like I've never seen a lot of these like oh, this is the worst Star Wars character ever. We've totally forgotten about Jar Jar. It's this person. Um, after this, like people really just kind of gave up on her. And I understand why it just it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it. I'm not going to you know fight too hard on defending this moment. For some reason, it just it doesn't bother me. I guess as much as it bothers everybody else. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I rationalize it too much in my head, but 
I don't know. I guess I could just see this character doing something as dumb as this. <laughs> I think it's because I I don't know. Thank you for your she, stirring defense. I well, I think it's you know her 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 version of like the of of the criminal element is these people that she can kind of beat up on her own, like in the in the garage. She's just there's it's one thing for like these loan sh- to deal with these loan sharks on Coruscant and it's another to like be dealing with the pikes themselves you know and you get the feeling that she is so like she probably has so little visibility on the actual the the bigger out like criminal elements that to her it's like I, so I, I we're gonna leave you know we're not gonna come back around here the she probably thinks you know double crossing the pikes isn't it's just like double crossing anybody on Coruscant will handle it the way we normally do. So I guess her naivety and, you know, not fully understanding that this is an intergalactic crime syndicate could maybe make the, <laughs> make room for a flippant decision like this. Yeah. And I think another issue I kind of have is that like, Ahsoka doesn't really come up with anything terribly clever. I think like, these two episodes, I think could have been really fun if they were, if they had like momentum and with Ahsoka and Rafa like bouncing off each other, just trying to come up with one clever scheme after another to get them out of this trouble, instead they just go there and they try to mind trick them. It doesn't work. They get captured. They get thrown in jail. Um, I feel like it, it just this arc needed more momentum, more cleverness. Like just play. This is you, you know, you're criminals. You're 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 hustling. You're trying to hustle a crime syndicate. You know, have some fun with it. Have some energy. You know, give us more than one or two really stupid incredibly stupid schemes um like ha- have some clever like show how clever the characters are um because like she only mind tricks one one pike despite there being like another 10 pikes standing there like uh, it doesn't work <laughs> so they try to hand off the empty bins and of course the others figure it out and they get captured because it was a terrible plan and they're all idiots and they deserve to die um I'm just right. so less bothered. Like, I, I think for I, me, I, I, I think any any one of these problems I would completely ignore. It's kind of like all the issues stacking up is you know making me more and more bored with more time to think as I watch. Uh, like for me, I think most of my issues, like the the issue of momentum across the whole arc, is an issue I have. But it, for me, that would kind of be almost fully resolved if we could just completely take out episode three um because then i do i feel like we trimmed off even if we don't like all of the beats we kind of trimmed off the the dead uh unnecessary little plot movements um but like like the something that i love in the like in their argument is that ahsoka is still kind of in this very principled jedi headspace and she's she's not fully in the you know, she's Which not... I, I don't think she entirely. I don't, I don't think she loses that over the course of this arc. Right, no, I, but I mean, in terms of like the, you can make some of the decisions you that she may have made before because we're also a part of the Grand Army of the Republic. You know, we can take these principled stances and just assume that we've got millions of clones behind our backs. Uh, but for her to be like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this. And then when she's called out on it, she's just like, yeah, I, I haven't. I hadn't thought about that yet. We're having a theoretical discussion. <laughs> yeah, like I I like those those moments and and I'm okay with like the like just that we I don't know how often we've seen somebody mind trick several people at the same time. Uh 
Well, Ray does it in Rise of Skywalker. That's why it's a bad plan. <laughs> uh, but like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of okay with the. It's just like a. She didn't think this far through, and it is kind of a dumb plan, and they get captured immediately. And if we had moved from that into, like, I think their their whole scheme in the fourth episode gets a lot better. Like, the idea that she's double-crossing them, and she's going to go off and then come back. Like, I like that that whole, uh, like, plan a lot better. And I think I'm supposed like, it actually works. So I think if we were able to move from this episode right into that one, I would have had, like, way less issues. But, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess just contained to this one, I'm, I'm really not too bothered by this episode. Like, I still definitely like the previous one more, but it's it's not until all of the issues are just concentrated into three for me. I, w- I was still on board with my first watch. I was getting a little antsy, but I was still, I was still there. And so speaking of episode three, the next one is called Dangerous Debt. It is directed by Saul Ruiz and Bosco NG. So in prison, the squabbling between Ahsoka and Rafa continues with occasional breaks to gang up on Trace. She deserves it. Uh, <laughs> we learned that their parents were killed during a chase by the Jedi to recapture Zero the Hut and Cad Bane. That's going all the way back to the finale of season one. Um, Rafa is taken away and tortured. Uh, then they come and take Trace. Ahsoka uses the Force to escape, and Trace also tricks her guards and runs. They meet up and go on a long series of escapades as they are pursued through the city by the Pikes. Ultimately, they are all recaptured and thrown back into the very same cells before. Also, uh, during all this time, we see brief glimpses of a, a cloaked Bo-Katan and Ursa Ren watching them. And uh, so, yeah, Katie Sackhoff returns to voice Bo-Katan, and Charmila Divar uh, returns to voice Ursa Ren and Sabine's mother, and she was in Rebels. So that was a cool little touch. I don't think she's ever actually named. Maybe maybe she calls her Ren. I think yeah. I know that you hear Ren because I was like, whoa, whoa, Sabine. Unlike other other connections, that I feel really forced. Remember back in uh, so back going back to uh, season two of Rebels when uh Sabine stands up and and uh, challenges Fen Rao when she says you know she has her name you know Clan Ren. Everyone says hey she's Death Watch. So yeah, of course. So yeah, Ursa Ren, her mother would have been. With uh, Bo-Katan from Death Watch. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this episode is kind of pointless. <laughs> like, one I think one important thing happens, and that is we hear the story of how Trace and Rafa lost their parents. Otherwise, they escape from jail, they run around, and they're thrown right back in the same cell. And next episode, they escape the exact same way <laughs> and run around. And, like, it's the, it's the, the series of escaping, getting recaptured, escaping, getting recaptured is ridiculous. Um, like this episode does not need to exist. That's not say it's a it's not that's a like a bad episode on its own. Like sure, like the the action is fun. There's some cool interactions, but like at the the end of this episode, this is this that when they're being locked in the exact same cell, this is enormous sense of like, why did this episode exist? Yeah, to me, it, it's real. It is one of those moments where it's like I'm not even exaggerating when I say like you take out this one conversation and you cut it out, and and it's it's not missed. You know, and, and yeah. I think the most frustrating thing to me is the the tension between uh, Rafa and Ahsoka is still like there's a slight more level of understanding, but there's still that existing tension. And so, like to me, if like if you're going to have the dual escapes, I think the first one would have been like with the the tension at a head and just you know like people are not on the same page and it brings everybody back. And maybe through this episode, really 
grow Ahsoka and Rafa and have them understand each other and like mend that relationship a lot more so that escape attempt too it's it is you know it's more of a group effort with people who are starting to care for each other but even at the beginning of episode four there's still just this kind of like you can tell they do not like each other and it, yeah it's so even from like just a character standpoint a plot standpoint it's it's such needless filler to me obviously they, they tell they tell us their story and we learned that while after a, what, what's it called is it a senate crisis hostage crisis is yeah. the episode in hostage crisis which was you know, it was aired as the season finale of season one when Cad Bane busts uh, Zero the Hutt out of prison. We learned that after that, there was this big chase through the city, and uh, ultimately there was a uh, a ship a ship was was uh, was shot down, and it was either going to crash into a, a crowded landing platform or the Jedi were able to steer. But then the Jedi chose to steer it into the side of a building, and in that building were Trace and Rafa's parents, and they were killed. You know, that's obviously very sad, and heartbreaking. But the kind of clincher on the story is that I. Uh, uh, we're assuming Luminara. They talked about a you know, beautiful woman in, with green skin who is very detached from death. That sounds exactly like a yep. <laughs> Luminara. Uh, she came and told them essentially, just give these really trite words of comfort, like, uh, "Oh, this this seems bad, but trust the force." Peace out. So they they, they obviously are rightfully very very irritated at the way the Jedi kind of just trample over them and you know don't you know. Sure, they save save the lives of the people on the platform, but they they don't really acknowledge all the destruction they caused, you know, in the pursuit of their goals, and all, they really have no comfort for the people that are hurt. Uh, it reminded me of when we were talking about um, Event of the Sith, where Anakin comes like, "You're someone I love. I think someone I love is gonna die," and uh, and you was like, "Well, don't don't mourn him and don't miss him. Peace." Yeah. And like they have nothing to say to the fear to people's fears and to their heartbreaks and their suffering. Um, like, and that's like, sure, there is, there is a, there is a point where, again, obviously becoming so attached and afraid to lose people, it does turn you bad, you know, to, to turn you into a, on a, in a bad direction, but you also gotta, you can't, th- those feelings are still very real and you can't just dismiss them like that. Gonna get you started on your anti-Jedi rant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just warming up. <laughs> something that I, uh, that I also like, and I think is a good bit of writing w- with the way they describe that exchange with Luminara is I both, I both totally buy why that would completely jade you towards the, the Jedi order. And I also totally buy that that is absolutely something Luminara would say, like just with how detached she feels and, you know, just how quickly she was to move on and thinking Ahsoka and Barriss were, were dead and the Geonosis arc, you know, like it, she she was not the one willing to wait around and it seems like you know she she moves on pretty quickly uh and so just like the the cold way it feels like she would have interacted with barris definitely makes this interaction feel like yeah that's that's what would happen yeah and so yeah i i, I again you know, another little kind of doubt in Ahsoka's mind about what the Jedi are and like what are like are they are they even a good thing for the galaxy right now I think this was like the most important conversation in this arc set in the most useless episode um yeah so as far as like some of the hijinks they get to get up to a trace uh pretending to faint was pretty cool uh Ahsoka using the force to open her cell and then they just run a lot uh (laughs) 
Ahsoka pulling. They, this is a trick that uh, Ezra and Caden did in uh, Rebels, where she pulls them out of cover so that Trace can shoot them. I don't know why. Like, I understand they use the Force all the time in combat, but something like that just feels so wrong and transgressive to me. Uh, but it looks so cool to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So otherwise, yeah, they 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 run, they shoot, they get captured. Uh, Bo-Katan and Ursa Ren look on. And uh, they throw him back in jail. Good stuff. Not really. Mediocre stuff. <laughs> yeah. So next episode is Together Again. This one is, is directed by uh, just one director, uh, Nathaniel Villanova. So seeing as it's only one director and a new director at that, I'm assuming this, this episode was almost primarily remade for the final season. Um, that is if they even got to you know do the animatics and all that, first of all. So back in their cell, Ahsoka comes up with yet another harebrained scheme to get them out of there. She, she goes to tell Marg Krim, who is the leader of the Pikes, uh, to let Trace and Rafa go retrieve the spice, and she will stay behind as a hostage. Um, Krim, Krim is fairly desperate at this point, and like an absolute idiot, he agrees to this obvious trap. <laughs> um, so Tra- Trace and Rafa, they decide, to instead of escaping, that they're going to steal the spice they need to free Ahsoka, and who do they decide to steal it from? The Pikes! Then you are going to give it back to, because they are also morons. Uh, I, here's the thing. It's a ridiculous thing, but I love the idea of stealing it from one organization <laughs> just so you can pay it back to the same organization. Because they they don't have hologram messages. Um, so meanwhile, Ahsoka escapes her cell again and plants explosives and learns that Maul is still controlling the Pikes who are part of his Shadow Collective. Uh, but she is captured again, uh, but not before she she reveals herself to the Pikes as a Jedi. Um, and so as she's being confronted by Marg Krim, Trace and Rafa return with their stolen spice. And then they're all arrested and set to be executed. Uh, but her her explosives go off and they're able to escape uh, back to the Silver Angel and return to Coruscant. And when they return to Coruscant, they are approached by Bo-Katan, who requests Ahsoka's help in freeing Mandalore from Maul's control. Ahsoka agrees and they head off together uh, back to Mandalore. And I, I think this is another... This is where you really see the seams between what the episode was originally going to be and what it kind of morphed into as, as it, um, you know, as it evolved. And like, why, why is like, we have all these sh- shots cutting to Bo-Katan and Ursa Ren. Why don't they have any involvement in their escape? Like they, they could have rescued them. If they, if they want the help of, of Ahsoka, you know, instead of yet another capture and yet another, you know, kind of, you know, by the skin of their teeth escape, have them sweep it and, and rescue them. I thought the same. Their, their whole use of them was weird to me because when you first see them, I'm like, for me, like, I, I know that that main figure is Bo-Katan. This is obviously, these are Mandalorians. This is the person who would make sense. And, but I, I feel like the scenes were shot with, like, a sense of mystery around the characters. Like, oh, the, who's are, who are these shadowy cloaked figures and like you're not fooling anybody, and also why why are they just so keen on just surveying for so long? You know, like yeah. I, it, I don't know. It was just it was weird to try to veil the character in mystery at all when it should just be like, hey, it's Bo-Katan and she's gonna help him out. I don't know. I mean, probably because he didn't, he didn't want to write entire new action scenes. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's probably why. Just have them separate. You can animate separately and all that. But. <sighs> And then just the, the scheme that Ahsoka comes up with is so dumb and obviously a trap. And, like, why didn't Mar Krim send some pikes along in the Silver Angel with them? 
Like, why do you send them off alone? Don't worry about I, it. Here's the thing. So it's like, Ever every, since everyone is Palace, stupid. I've given up. Everyone on... is stupid and it's annoying. Um, and then Trace and Rafa are especially stupid. If you're gonna steal to pay someone off, don't steal from the guy you're paying off. See, that's and like, that's or, where or I at disagree. Least, at least be subtle about it. You don't have the the bandits in the old west. They wore masks, so you couldn't tell who they were. I don't know. Maybe that's a little smarter. <laughs> I I don't know. I love the idea of going and stealing from the pikes to return spice to the pikes. I think like execution could have definitely been better, but the idea on paper is something I like a lot. I just wish they like they could have done it in a more secretive like just the, this whole arc just needs a lot more. It's about criminal syndicates and criminal empires and and swindling, you know, this it's like you know turn it into like a, a Ocean's Eleven you know, with some you know some style and some cleverness to it. Everything is just like the 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 most obvious basic thing that can be done is always is the choice they make every step of the way. Yeah, and, and I'm also really getting over the whole like because I've I've been binging Star Trek and I literally just saw this in an episode I just watched the whole like. Well, if you don't let me through, you're gonna have to answer to blah blah blah. I'm like, well, you're you're not on the list. It's like, all right, well, you're gonna have to. Whenever he doesn't get his blah blah blah, it's it's such an overused like moment during a scam. <laughs> oh. Although I I love that we get to see a Ben Quadraneros people. Yes, I think they're called the Tung Tungs. I think is what they're called. <laughs> I love the way they squeak like a rubber duck when they're punched. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, I love in that uh, in that fight. Like as they're as they're fighting in the background, you have the the shorter aliens, and you, you just hear them like agging on the fight. Like, yeah, killer! It's such a <laughs> funny scene to me. Oh yeah, but the the head head tune is voiced by Josh Brenner, who is Niku in Resistance. Oh, nice. Uh, oh yeah, I. I'm pretty sure I told my sister. I was like, I I know this voice, I've I've heard this high pitched voice before, uh, <laughs> but uh, I also I really like the fight itself. It had like as they start on like the little crane lift thing, it started to feel very like Spielberg Indiana Jones esque of like a a fight that's kind of moving around in the environment and it's just straight punching each other. I love that, that, that Rafa is just absolutely getting pummeled in one corner and Trace is abusing these poor little aliens <laughs> on the other side. Um, yeah, so Ahsoka, uh, meanwhile, is kind of wandering around. Um, and she sees Maul and Mard Krim talking. Something that I did think was cool in this moment, though, was they did what I was really hoping they would do in like a post-Solo world, which is like name drop the organization as Crimson Dawn now which I thought was super cool. Okay, was it just me, or did you think Crimson Dawn was his new syndicate after the Shadow Collective collapsed? That's what I thought at first, but I'm, I'm guessing this was a reorganized uh, version of the Shadow Collective. So, yeah, they escape, and they go back, and uh, Bogotan says, uh, you know, you want to come fight with us? And I guess, you know, over the course of this arc, Ahsoka kind of realizes that she wants to be what the Jedi... The the ideal of a Jedi, even if the Jedi, even if she's not a Jedi anymore, and if the Jedi have fallen off the train, um, you know, she's going to be you know what she what she wishes the Jedi were for the galaxy, which in this case means uh, going uh, kicking Maul's butt. 
what the Jedi couldn't do and finish. Uh, as far as the the arc is fine, I think cutting out that one episode, I think would would significantly improve it. I still have issues with the characters and the plotting, but I I I appreciate what Filoni is trying to do, and it's the kind of thing that the Clone Wars is here to do to you know to explore the flaws of the Jedi, give you know give us some of the gray and the complexities. I just don't think it's does it. I don't think it does it all that well. Yeah, for me, like I said, I. I for some reason, and I like seeing the characters. I understand why the characters didn't sit well for a lot of people, and people didn't really enjoy them. For me, I never found them too annoying. At least not enough to like genuinely start bothering me within the episodes. And and most of my complaints would kind of not disappear, but be just significantly less if we could cut out that third episode. Because I, I do think cutting from, uh. Like I think one of my biggest issues with the arc is that the the last two episodes blend in so much because it's retreading the same locations tonally. It feels the same. Like it just feels like one episode that's way too long. And I think if we cut that yeah. third one out, it would be you know like we cool street level coruscant. Then we're fooling the pipe. Like we're going to um, Kessel and flying. Like there's we wouldn't just be in the same location for so long. And we would be moving along through different plans instead of just like repeating the same escape. I don't know. I, everything would just flow to me so much better if we could if we could just cut that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that final shot where we, we follow the the, um, the Mandalorian ship as it's kind of you know rising out of the depths of Coruscant back into the light. You know, we start with Ahsoka falling into the darkness and then coming back into the light. It's symbolism. It's poetry. It rhymes exactly. All right. Um. So now we move into the uh, the final Mandalore arc, and so I think overall this this final season works pretty well on its own. However, there is a vi- a very big chunk of story missing in between where we left the Clone Wars off in season five and what happens here. The last time we saw Darth Maul, you know, uh, Palpatine had just kicked his butt and killed Savage, and you know, he said, you know, no, there is no mercy, but don't worry, I have a plan for you or something like that, and you know, and so the last we knew, he was captured by Sidious, and so that we—that's where the um, the Darth Maul son of Dathomir comic comes in, and I'm literally holding it in my hands, flipping through it. Um, so this this the, that arc that would have been a four episode arc was turned into a comic. Essentially, what happens is Gar Saxon and uh, the female Mandalorian leader—I don't know her name—they um, rescue him from from Count Dooku. And he goes back and, you know, and meets up with his crime syndicate. And they, there's like these several, there's like, I think at least two or three just like full scale battles between the crime syndicates and, um, and the, the, uh, separatists. Uh, but ultimately there's, it's all part of this long scheme to get mother Talzin out of hiding so that, so, uh, Darth Maul runs and finds mother Talzin for aid. And now that she's out of hiding the the separatists are able to kill her because she's so powerful that uh, Palpatine fears her. It's it sounds weird and convoluted. It kind of makes sense in the, in the comment, you know, in context of the story. But see, so yeah, eventually, long story short is, Maul escaped with the help of Gar Saxon, and he fled back to Mandalore, uh, with the, his power, you know, the power of his syndicate significantly weakened. That's pretty much it. That's how he's back in charge. Gotcha. Because because that's I, I own that comic. I haven't read it yet. I I should have. Because I, I didn't realize that that was what fills the gap. I, uh, because I, I guess I didn't know 
the the time period that son of dathomir takes place in um but that yeah this starting this episode that was the one thing that felt off was like wait a second you were writhing around in pain begging for mercy last time i saw you yeah yes but but that's the good thing about having all the comics as interconnected canon and whatnot yeah so for the first episode uh this is episode nine old friends not forgotten it was directed by saul ruiz and written by dave filoni uh ahsoka and bo katan contact anakin skywalker and obi-wan kenobi asking them for help in apprehending darth maul and his new hideout on mandalore while Obi-Wan is apprehensive, Anakin and the 501st give Ahsoka a warm welcome until news arrives that General Grievous and the Separatists are attacking Coruscant. That sounds familiar. I know. I think it rings a bell. Uh, upon Anakin's suggestion, Rex, uh, field promoted to commander, and part of the 501st accompanies Ahsoka to Mandalore, forcing Maul's loyalists under Gar Saxon into retreat. Bo-Katan apprehends Prime Minister Almec, while Ahsoka follows a trail into the city's tunnel network, only to walk right into Maul's trap. Um, so for this episode, uh, some some uh, there's some really cool uh, returning actors. Uh, Ray Stevenson comes back from Rebels to voice a younger version of Gar Saxon. Uh, Vanessa Marshall, who's the voice of Harrison Dula, the best mom ever, um, voices uh, Rook Cass. That's her name. Rook Cass is the other Maul loyalist. And uh, then also <laughs> Donald Faison, a hype Faison from Resistance, voices the tactical droid in the opening. That meets an untimely end at Anakin's hands. Yeah, so just right off the bat, from the opening, the opening image, they're telling us that something is different here. You know, we don't get the Clone Wars theme. We, you know, we get, I think I believe it's Ahsoka's theme. It's the music that plays, you know, the track Ahsoka leaves. Yeah. From the end of season yep. five, that's played over the old Lucasfilm Limited logo. Um, and there, there's no proverb. Uh, it's just like right off the bat, like something is different. Like they, they, they still have the Tom Kane's newsreels, but it's only played at the first episode and not in any of the later episodes. Like something is different. Something is dark. Um, also in that, in, in those newsreels, we see, uh, Kanan, uh, beside, you know, as, as a kid, as a, as a Padawan besides <gasps> his uh, master, Dev Balaba, a plo- I miss that. Yeah, a Plo Koon is flying over Kid in Moidia, yep, and that Illus occurs on Felucia. It's like, oh, it's not good. Yeah, my sister and I, we had, we had waited a while. Like, I think we had waited to start it until this episode had released. Or no, no, there were two. We were two episodes deep into the Mandalorian arc before we actually started watching the new season, and so we were kind of just getting through the first two arcs because, like, we were both really enjoying it. We're like, we we kept hearing the social media reaction to these episodes. And so when it started and you had that old vintage Lucas limited, we're like, Oh, Oh crap. And then whenever, whenever you see, and we were told, you know, like it's going to get like serious and heavy and emotional. And you see Plo Koon over Nemoidia and you see her on Felicia. We're like, Oh crap. They are really, really setting the stage. Yeah. So, and Oh my gosh, how much better does this final arc look? The, all, there's that big petition whenever theaters start like reopening in, in mass to get this stitched together as a movie and released, and I would 100% show up for that. Yeah, I mean, like, the first two arcs, they look they look so much better, but this, like, the entire style is different, you, and you can kind of tell that this was the arc that was made, you know, from top to bottom under Disney, and holy cow, um, just everything. It's I, the big difference is lenses. Like 
it instead of just like kind of fairly generic flat wide you know wide shots that kind of just take in everything there's a, a very conscious use of like various lenses and focal lengths and using using the focus and the depth of field within every shot um a lot like there's a lot of like long lenses i mean obviously it's all animated but you know it's obviously a matter of perspective but like long lenses to where you it, it's you know it, the the person in frame is really sharp and larger and everything behind them is all out of focus there's less wide shots. There's there's just a lot more thought put into the camera work and and the angles. It's just a lot of shots that don't uh, that only capture like part of a thing. Whereas before they would try they would always try to get just wide shots that showed everything that was happening in any frame. You you saw everything. Everything was captured within the frame. Here they're able they're willing to kind of do like what happens when you have a real camera on set, where you often don't capture the whole thing. You know. You have one thing you're focused focused on, and then behind them there'd be like a droid that's only like half of it, half of it's in the shot, or like the giant, uh, tr- uh, uh, whatever the heck those tri droids are, like they'll be like halfway in frame and halfway out. Like it feels like they were on set filming, and literally like you you can only you can only get so big with these lenses, and so there's it's just like all these like naturalistic choices that are made that you have to make when you're on set that you don't have to make when you're animated. I think when you're animating something, uh, they just always just try to make it look like they were filming with real lenses and just tiny little things. Another thing I noticed is that it just sounds so weird, but this looks kind of like it was shot on film, like the colors, the, the, the texture of the colors, it looks, it's like a, a bit brighter and more saturated. There's a vibrancy to the colors and also the contrast, the, the use of blacks it just like the 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 lighting is harsher and so it just it makes the characters stand out more and the way the light contrast you know lights and shadow and just it's all very I, I, you know, i'm saying words that probably don't mean a lot but it's just it's so it's so many just little touches they made to the cinematography that just make it look so cool yep it looks real good that's all i got to say <laughs> yeah uh, also, and also, there's more detail to the animation, especially in the faces. Uh, Obi Wan's face, kind of in that scowl after he cuts down the rocket, like, "Yep, I'm totally here for this." Yeah, the, there's just like the furrow in the brow sometimes, or you know, when instead of just like the jaw opening and closing, and it, it wasn't this wasn't really bad in the later seasons, especially these last two arcs. But you can even like just whenever like speaking, you can see like the cheeks as the mouth opens like thinning out just kind of the way they would in real life as you stretch the face to talk like it it really starts to look like an not to the point of like performance capture but like these are actual things and not just like cgi blocks that are being manipulated yeah, i think they built new models like because i remember watching the trailer that it ended on that shot of uh you know, Anna could walk into the uh, the communications room with Ahsoka on the hologram, and he looks so different. Like I think they like, yeah. built entirely new models, or at least really touched up the one they had. Um, but man, the whole bridge battle is so cool. Where everyone uh, comes in and he chops down the rocket, and the camera just kind of zooms in his face, and he looks so angry and exhausted. <laughs> and then just the whole, the whole, all the interactions between Obi Wan and Anakin, where the Obi Wan and Rex are cowering behind the rubble, and Anakin just walks up. Hey, what's going on? You know, we already finished our battle, so we decided to come help you with yours. You're overdoing it, Anakin. <laughs> really set the Again. stage for their their just dynamic and banter in the beginning of Revenge, uh-huh. and just him walking out to no man's land, fake surrendering, which is what Obi Wan did 
back in the the movie Clone Wars, the Clone Wars movie. Yeah, like Captain Rex and the final first under the bridge with jetpacks. Jetpacks, they're awesome. <laughs> and then after the you know he pull, he yanks the droid out, chops the head off, and the and Rex attacks, and uh, and uh, Obi-Wan just kind of looks at Anakin and uh, Rex and shrugs like, yes, you you may go join the fun, Cody. <laughs> and Obi Wan is so annoyed with Anakin, but he can never argue actually argue with the results, so he just has to go along with it. <laughs> Uh, it's so good. Oh, I can't take all the credit. Your state of help- helplessness really sold them on the surrender talk. <laughs> Just love that line. I also really like. You, I know a lot of people were posting the images, but I, I love that kind of very Last Jedi esque, like lone man against the the horizontal army. Like that, that whole scene really stands out cinematically to me. Yeah. Um. Then they get a call from a. Uh, from Eularian saying someone by the code name Fulcrum is calling them, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, apparently, so apparently Fulcrum was Anakin, or at least a Republic secret frequency that they used for their covert operations. In this case, uh, Saw Gerrera on Onderon, since that whole conflict was uh, technically uh, the Republic had no involvement in that. And just the look on Anakin's face and the way he's just like stammering when he sees Ahsoka. I, I just... Like, Anakin doesn't say a lot in this episode, but just, like, watch it. He's always in the background just, like, watching what's going on. And, like, as Ahsoka's talking to the other side, he's, like, trying to get a word and he wants to, he just wants to hug her and all that. But uh, it's, it's like, really sweet and also kind of sad how no one has time for this this poor little boy who wants to hug his little sister. Yeah, and I really like just the way their dynamic is picked back up. Or, like, I get really their dynamic is completely not completely shifted, but very... He, he, he's, he's trying to pick it back up, but it, it, they just can't yet. Yeah. And never well, can. And, you know, even her, just kind of the way she brushes him off and moves on, not in this kind of arrogant, annoying way, but I don't know. I, I feel like... Oh, the, hurt, the hurt in his face when she does that to him. Yeah, it hurts. I'm like, well... I don't know. It, it, it made me wish that I had rewatched that last... The, the Wrong Jedi arc before watching this, just because yeah. of... The, the way this reunion hits and and like I feel like I'm I'm him because I'm ever since that trailer ending with the, you know like hey master it's been a while like I'm like oh my gosh they're about to get together holy crap this is gonna be insane uh we haven't seen them interact since season five and then uh for for this like reunion that I've been hyping up to just kind of move on like that it's it's good storytelling, but it hurts. It's so like yeah, the the the, the one thing we want to sure they have the nice moment, but you know what happened kind of really threw a wrench in their friendship, and it was never the same again. I uh, I love the way Anakin's like really excitedly trying to rationalize Ahsoka leaving the order. Like, it was all meant to be. It had to be. It's the only way. And 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 everyone's like, yeah, or maybe it just happened. Like no, it was definitely it's all part of a greater plan. I, I like the way he has to try and find some kind of meaning in, in the way his friend got hurt. And but I think wa- watching Anakin is fascinating. I think Obi Wan is even more fascinating. Um, you know he you know he's you know, he's very cautious. He, you know, be, being kind of the responsible one, he's very cautious about um, you know drawing the Republic into yet another conflict and breaking treaties. Uh, and Bo-Katan's a jerk. <laughs> he murdered my sister. I thought she she meant something to you. Um, that's a low blow. But in the heated moment, I feel like this man. That, there's so much history between all of these characters that I don't know. 
I, I would understand her frustration as somebody who would be who isn't a part of like just all of the political machinations of the Republic. Yeah, I, I get why that emotional reaction would be like, yeah, you know, you know who this is and you're still, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but, but he just he takes it like a champ. He doesn't take it personally. Um, but then the, the next conversation I think is really fascinating when, when he runs in and tells him you know, they have to go back to Coruscant because Grievous is. It, you know, atta- has attacked, and the Soho just gets angry and pulls no punches. You know, I understand that as usual. You're playing politics. This is why the people have lost faith in the, faith in the Jedi, and it's like I feel like Ahsoka is kind of like in a cage stage, um, which I, I don't know if it's kind of a, a term that Christians will use. Like when, when someone when someone adopts either a new theology or a new philosophy, and suddenly they're all about that, and they're kind of crazy. And I mean, I'm sure this happens in Christianity, but I'm sure it happens in all kinds of philosophies. Like someone, someone they, they find something new and then the, their entire life is defined by that. And anyone who doesn't agree with it like the way they do is crazy. Uh, and she's she's kind of like that. She's kind of overbearing. And she's kind of cruel to him. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you how you how you felt that the the episode was wanting us to feel about it. Because to me, I got the feeling that we were meant to just like there's a line drawn and we were meant to stand beside her. And I'm like, it's, I, I under, usually that idea of playing, poli- like you're playing politics. That's usually very, very true of the Jedi. Uh, but like, this is the chancellor, you know, like you, they let, this, I, th- th- I think the, this, the, the hint is that they let Obi-Wan maintain his dignity. So like, Ahsoka, that's not fair. And she's like, I'm not trying to be. And I, I, I love the way he kind of, che- when she does that, he, you know, he's been a little standoffish. You know, he's letting Anakin and her have their space. But he turns, like, really cold right then. He's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to fight you. But you are. All, you do realize you are attacking the thing that I have devoted my entire life to. And he like, kind of becomes even more cold and standoffish where he's not angry with her. <laughs> he's not angry. He's just disappointed. <laughs> I feel like you know, he doesn't. Like he, I don't, he, I don't, I don't think he was angry at Ahsoka for leaving. I don't think he judged her for leaving, but he really does not appreciate the way she's kind of coming back and just attacking the order and attacking him and attacking everything he stands for. He's like, just cal- calm down. Okay. Like we don't need to do this right now. Yeah. Almost just as much as like it hurt for the reunion to not go as I always imagined, you know, we're back together again. This, this like hurt just as much, just seeing like obi-wan my favorite character of like prequel era just kind of the tension and coldness and emotional distance between like he and ahsoka i'm like oh no i love all of these characters it's it's no it's no fun being the balanced person like you don't get to side with it no one likes you (laughs) and he's you know he's always trying to play the middle to, to do the right thing but also you know, not become the crazy idealist who is, you know, is messing things up. And just Anakin kind of standing there looking back and forth. Like, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't care. As they're kind of going at each other. But I think the, the, the I think the reason I think that I don't think we're entirely supposed to take a side here is when we look forward to the next conversation they have, you know, in, in like the next episode um, where it's Obi-Wan who's, who, you know, he's coming in, he's checking Ahsoka and, and you're making sure she's, she's okay and not Anakin. So I, I think, you know, he, he's disappointed in her. She's kind of letting you know, she all her anger and frustration at the Jedi Order. You know, she's letting lashing out at him as the closest representative. But I, th- I think both of them are kind of in the wrong uh, to a point. And I, I love Obi-Wan's final line. You know, one more thing. I killed Maul once. Best to capture him. 
He doesn't seem to stay dead. Yeah. Using this uh, and the Phantom Menace as like the bookends for Maul in the in this era is just so amazing to me. Of like this almost dialogueless guy who is just a pawn to this tragic, frustrated character who's you know just who's realized how much of a pawn he's been. And I I know that, like that gets into the next episodes, but just thinking about like calling back to that first appearance. I don't know. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Anakin gives her back her lightsabers. I never realized that they had different length handles. Um, the one for the right hand, the left hand, and Anakin made them blue. How do, how do you feel about this? I, 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 I'm not really a fan. I kind of just wish, you know, sure you could turn them red if you infuse them with evil, but overall, I just like, you know, they're, they're they are the color they are because the crystal was that color. I don't know. It's it's a weird touch. Yeah, I I didn't really. If there was like any story or thematic reason behind that, I don't know if I picked up. I I, I I've heard people theorizing that it's kind of it's showing Anakin's very possessive form of love, where you know she left her lightsabers behind, so he was t- so his idea of improving them is to make them more like his, because of course that's better. Um, which I like the idea, but I I, I don't. I I didn't need the lightsabers yeah, to change. I don't know. I know. think it's. I don't know. I I, you know, just giving her back her lightsabers as they were would have I don't know made more. And I always like, because both his and Obi Wan's are blue. I always liked her green standing out against theirs. Yeah. And green's my favorite lightsaber color, so I was slightly disappointed. And then we get the final interaction, or at least for for a lo- good long time, between Anakin and Ahsoka. Uh you know he. He tells her, you know, I think I think he probably says, "May the force be with you," and she can't quite respond. Says Anakin, "Good luck." And mm-hmm. I just there's, I love it. The tension between them that was created by her leaving is never fully resolved. You know, they have this lovely brother sister moment, but even in that final moment, there's still that level of awkwardness between them, and just fate never allowed them to have that rec- reconciliation. And obviously things happen. So like we still have all of that tension, you know, when we go into that final moment of uh you know in uh in a Twilight of the Apprentice. Uh we're still we're still we still have all the, a measure of tension from her walking away from the Jedi Order and leaving him behind. Um it's it's still it, it present even after they have a lovely moment. It's like he, 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 Filoni's able to have his cake and eat it too with that. It's 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 awesome. That's what I love because you know rebels created that moment with you know like we we had season five that was that departure was the last canonical moment between them and i love that exactly it's exactly what you said you know you're able to bring them back together one more time and still not undermine that moment that at that time was was designed with with season five in mind the fact that it's you know the integrity the emotional integrity of that moment is still maintained yeah, it's so crazy that, that, that this, you know, the whole last season, but particularly this final arc, was crafted. Like, how, I wonder how, like, how it would be if this, what would it look like if this came out in, you know, in 2015 and Disney had never bought Lucasfilm? This arc was made with, you know, four seasons of Rebels, his, you know, him, him working on The Mandalorian, like four, you know, four, four or five uh, Star Wars movies. Like there is so much new context that is now feeding back into him making this final arc that would have just not. Like I don't, 
I can't imagine a Star Wars without Rebels anymore. So, like, wh- what would this have looked at? like? Like, he brought Ahsoka into Rebels because he 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 felt like she hadn't, you know, her story wasn't finished. Like, would she have died in the original Clone Wars finale? You know, we don't see like we don't see her in a in the original trilogy. Um, I, I she came back in Rebels and Maul came back in Rebels because he didn't get to tell a story, so he had to finish it. But if he had gotten to finish the story his way, would she even have survived? I don't even want to think about that. Who knows? Like it's crazy to think about that. Like what would have changed without all of this incredible context? That said, I I'm glad we have it the way it is because it all fits. Um, yeah. So we go in for the invasion of Mandalore. <laughs> I love that. Like Almac is Almac is like really indignant. How dare you invade us? Um, and we get like the blue Death Watch Mandalorians before, uh, versus the red followers, and we see Gar Saxon as a, this really young. You know, ruggedly handsome dude. That's that uh, was one of the things that excited me the most because I'm like, wait, Gar Saxon. I know he's in Rebels. Was was he ever in the Clone Wars? And I looked at him and was like, oh no, we're just we're pulling characters from Rebels and like pulling them back here to the Clone Wars. I, I, that's just really really cool. And then I compared the the models of Saxon between Rebels and this season. I'm like, holy crap, Clone Wars season seven just looks incredible. Yeah, and I love that he's his horns on his helmet are so much bigger than everyone else's. Yeah, he's such a sycophant. And then looking forward to Rebels, where his Mandalorian armor looks so much more like stormtroopers. Where like he did it, he did it from all. He did it for the Empire. He's just gonna suck up to whoever's in power. And we get this awesome uh, sequence of of our uh, of Ahsoka just jumping from ship to ship. Uh, and I, I don't. I she doesn't directly kill anyone. And it's never clarified, is this part of her, her newfound Jedi purpose? Or is, is this more just kind of being family friendly? I don't know. But she doesn't directly kill anyone, although a lot of people die because of her. <laughs> My hands are clean. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. There you go. Cop out. Uh, I don't know if I even noticed that. I The only time I noticed her, like, you know, passiveness was. Uh, well, she she, cho- she chops off the barrels of the guns and then slashes their jetpacks and they fly off and explode. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, which is similar. They they did that a lot in Rebels. So they cut off the stormtroopers' barrels and like force throw them. Um, yeah. So there's a big, awesome battle. She, she I love when she rescues the pilot and then rides the uh, the the uh, the damaged ship down and jumps off and the giant explosion as she stands up and strikes a cool pose. It was in the trailers and it's so epic. It reminds me, you know, it's way cooler this time, but it kind of reminds me of uh, bits from, from like, the movie of, like, climbing the wall of just, like, running around and jumping across all of these different moving pieces. Uh, and now is just, like, as a director, just... Or, and the storyboard artist, they're just on a whole other level now, so it looks way cooler. Yeah, and the Mando on Mando action with the, like this little uh, shield buckler things that are pretty cool, and uh, Almec's suit looks pretty cool. He's got like the the gold braided armor. Um, he actually and he got in a couple punches. Like I, I I was expecting him to like go down immediately in front of Bo-Katan, but he actually did a lot better than I expected. Still has some level of that Mandalorian dignity. Mm. I always liked Almec. Uh, it, it was just the voice actor and the the accent. Yeah, he's been a fun. He's recall. always been like a really cool kind of 
imposing, memorable character. He wanted you to bring the Jedi, but you brought the wrong one. It's a trap! <laughs> yeah, they draw the clones out. You know, Ahsoka goes into the, to the sewers, and the clones are killed. Oh, the shot of the camera spinning around Ahsoka by herself, and it keeps revealing you know more and more openings to, to the you know, uh, pipe openings and they're filled, they're filled with, with Mandal- uh, with Mandalorians. And then we go to the final one that's empty and we just hear the thump, thump of, uh, of Maul's metal legs as he walks out. The filmmaking cinematography is so good. And that, I feel like, you know, this, this whole episode, uh, you can tell, like, like we said, from the, from the beginning, something is different about it. But it's like it's these moments in the sewers where I feel like we really start to feel a shift into like things are getting heavy. Like we are we are on the edge of something that's about to happen. So the next episode is uh, episode 10. This is The Phantom Apprentice. This one is also directed by Nathaniel Villanueva uh, and written by Dave Filoni. So he got the, 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 the dual episode and the finale. Someone likes it. <laughs> There you go. And I mean, hey, if this is what he's going to give us, then, you know, bring him back. Uh, In this one, Ahsoka faces off against Maul, who mentions Darth Sidious before escaping. Uh, Ahsoka relays this to Obi-Wan, who says he had inferred from the recently deceased Count Dooku that Sidious is the name of the Sith Lord who orchestrated the Clone Wars. After Almec is assassinated by Saxon, Bo-Katan helps Rex's team fight him and his Mandalorians. Ahsoka confronts Maul again, and he reveals that he engineered this conflict to lure Anakin there to kill him because Sidious intends to make him his pupil. Ahsoka and Maul duel above the city, and Ahsoka saves Maul from falling to his death. He is then captured by the clone troopers despite his frantic warnings that everyone will soon die. Um, yeah, this is a good one. It's real good. <laughs> the thing that really struck out to me in this episode in particular, and obviously goes into the next episode, but is the, the, the paranoia and a sense of this unknown but inevitable doom that is coming down upon us. Like, even though we know where it's going to end, we've seen Revenge of the Sith, he's able to get us into this in pure, innocent mindset that doesn't know what's going on, that doesn't know you know, Sidious is Palpatine, and that we are all going to die and nothing we do here matters. I, I love... I remember like when, when, when I was a kid, every time I would rewatch Revenge of the Sith, I would be like, maybe this time, you know, uh, uh, Mace Windu will kill Palpatine, or Anakin, you know, Anakin will decide not to cut his arm off. Like, as you know, as it came out, every time I, I, I would get back to the mindset, maybe this time will be different. And I, he recaptured that feeling of like, of, of making us forget what is coming, but also making us dread it at the same time. It's, it's I don't, it's so, it's such a weird thing. I don't know how he did it. It's so funny. Because I like everything you described is accurate, even down to just little kid me watching and rewatching Revenge of the Sith. But like that's that's one of the big things that's going to stick out in this arc for me is just like Revenge of the Sith is celebrating its 15 year anniversary. You know, like this this isn't a recent event in Star Wars history anymore, and yet I felt like you know, like when he when he says Sidious, I'm like Sidious, what's what's Sidious, what's going, wait, what? And it's like, you know, we, we hear more about, you know, it, Anakin is a part of his plan. I have to, I'm waiting for Anakin. I'm like, what, what, what what's going to happen with Anakin? What's going And I feel like I'm identifying so fully with Ahsoka. I mean, like whenever she's saying, you know, like your, your vision is wrong. 
I'm like, yeah, he doesn't know Anakin. I know Anakin. Like, that's not what's going to happen. But just like... He wouldn't kill younglings. Exactly. Trust me. Never. Uh, But I think it's also just because Maul has been... You know, he was absolute, you know, bonkers crazy whenever we first meet him in the Clone Wars. But after that, he kind of... It's like he's trying to recapture some level of dignity for himself. And he always holds himself up very proper... And so seeing him just in this crazed, not crazed state, but just, like you said, the state of paranoia of like this doomsayer, you know, cr- like heralding the apocalypse just before it happens. Well, who's the who's the figure in mythology, the person who sees the, the doom coming and can't warn anybody? Oh, crap. Who is that? In comic books, it's the Silver Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I know. But, uh. But yeah, just that this whole episode has that feel of like, we are moments away from something happening. And I know, I know Order 66. I know that this has been a fake war. I know all of this. But there is just something about like the tone, the music, the performances, everything is just creating this atmosphere of like, what's going on? What's going to happen? We're like, there's a tragedy looming, but I don't know what it is, even though I do. I don't know. It's. It's just incredible. So Cassandra is the character who, see, okay. who sees the uh, has prophecies of doom, but no one believes her. Yeah, but like the, I, I, I love the way he, at, even at the beginning, even when he's cool and composed and he has these wonderful monologues, there are these little ticks. Like you can tell he's not entirely there. Like his mind is moving a hundred miles an hour. He's he's thinking like you know, is this the moment I wonder is it upon us? And like he's he's trying to hold himself together in front of his men, but you can tell he has been absolutely terrified since you know since you know Palpatine came and defeated him so easily that he knows something is coming and it's just it's it's driving him mad and it's, it, he slowly descends till till by the end he's just a raving lunatic by the end of the episode, um and, but it's, it's such a believable decline just because the and Whitworth, Sam Whitworth the voice actor is so good and because he has. Like he has like paragraphs and paragraphs of these like really intricate monologues to go through, while also like showing a man descending into madness. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and this is just this is the crazy thing about Maul. Like, I, I want to see him do like Hamlet or Macbeth or something. Yeah, I, I, I'm man. I really wish we got uh some some sequel. I guess it wouldn't be a sequel to Solo because that would go off in a different direction. But I wanted some continuation to fill in the gap between uh, Solo and Rebels just because I just I really, really want more Sam Witwer Maul. Uh, but but yet his he he does he has so many of those monologues. And to me it's weird how sympathetic they're able to make him. Like you know, I, I this is what I mentioned in the previous episode of just you know he's this guy who has almost nothing to say. He he's only there because he looks cool and he looks evil. Uh, but to bring him to this guy who's just he was used and discarded, and he's not even like you know he's not on the side of the of the Federation. He's just this guy. He, he even acknowledges you know like we can only try to grab as much power as we can before this goes down. Like best case scenario. We're able to live off out of like the sights of whatever's about to happen. Mm. The Republic and the Jedi will no longer be the controlling interest in the galaxy. Yeah, like this this 
guy and you know the the tragedy in in being the only body who the only person who really sees this you know like he had a glimpse of the plan before you know he died the first time but he's still the only he's the only person who's aware of of both sides right now and yeah it's just they took this guy who had a singular line in his first movie and then died and turned him into what I think is like one of the strongest villains of this massive franchise. And a really cool thing they just show the paranoia. Like when he walks out, I love, he's just kind of walking in circles around Ahsoka talking and she keeps like cycling through various stan- lightsaber stances to kind of to, to keep up with him. But he just doesn't look at He just, the entire conversation, he never stops. It's like several minutes. He's just constantly walking in one long circle around her, just kind of raving. <laughs> Uh, the, the way he kind of like shudders when he says Darth Sidious's name. Uh, then we get another really cool scene where um where Ahsoka kind of reports her findings to to Obi Wan, and I think it's telling that you know despite you know, the coldness of their first encounter, it's it's not Anakin here. It's Obi Wan. Like Obi Wan is here. He's you know he's making sure she's okay, you know, checking up on her. Um and and I feel like just you know Anakin and Ahsoka might be closer, but I feel like Obi they. Obi-Wan and Soka respect each other even more. Like there's a really strong sense of mutual respect between each other that I really feel in this conversation. Yeah. Because their relationship was never kind of defined by that proving or competition the way it just, that that's how Ahsoka and Anakin begun was, you know, the reluctant master and this person who had to prove themselves. And even though they grew to like, you know, just genuinely love each other, it it became that kind of brother sister brother sister rivalry relationship, and Obi Wan's kind of been that actual respected authority figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this this is where is where it's so cool where they're both comparing you know comparing notes on who is this Darth Sidious? Like I've heard the name before. I think uh I think uh you know, Count Dooku mentioned it when I was when I was uh, floating in the air back in Attack of the Clones. Darth Sidious is a Sith Lord who orchestrated the Clone Wars and play, played both sides from the beginning. And I, I, I always kind of forget just, like, how aware the Jedi were that they were being played from the start. Like, they knew they were being played, yep. but, like, well, well, we're this far into it, in for, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, to borrow a, another Star Wars director's reference. And I, it makes you think back to, I think it was the Sifo-Dyas arc in Clone Wars where, where Yoda is fully aware that there's something up, you know, like, you know, obviously there was already a lot of shadiness around the creation of the clones, but he almost has that line where he's like, we, we cannot tell the public the truth about the clones because, you know, then they'll lose trust. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, you, their, their demise feels more and more inevitable and like earned with every new piece of material. Yeah. And we get a really new cool perspective on Dooku's death was, you know, with Dooku dead, we've lost a vital link to understanding the mystery of Darth Sidious. Like, not only was Dooku's death the the final test for Anakin, you know, whether he was able to become Sidious' apprentice, also, he was just a loose thread that was eliminated, and now the Jedi have absolutely no idea how to find out who Sidious was and what the clones are. Uh, It's like another one of those things that kind of, you know, another just brick being laid in their path to doom. And Man, City like uh supervillains the big supervillain plan more often than not is always just so needlessly convoluted and ridiculous but every time 
there's more additions to this prequel era. I'm like, Sidious is, for all of the flaws of the prequels, the political machinations of Sidious is just astounding to me. When you know the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, there's nothing you can't do. <laughs> um, and then they, they talk about Anakin being you know sent to spy on his friend and mentor. And, and I love, you know, uh, everyone's like, you know, Ahsoka, the council isn't always right. That's why I'm asking for your help. And like, even though he, he will always try to play the middle, he'll always try to be the good Jedi and do his duty for, for the council. He, he, like, he's not an idiot and he's not just, you know, he's not their lapdog. You know, he has his own conscience. He has his own brain, but he's always, so he like, he, he knows that this isn't wrong and he's, he's willing to acknowledge it. Yeah. And then just, you know, trying to relate these episodes with Revenge of the Sith as they're happening. This feels like the Obi-Wan who, who is asking Anakin to spy on the Chancellor and doing so with that kind of... I'm not asking you, the council's asking Yeah, like that that person who is starting to see things, you know, and I don't know. The, the way these two work with each other is super cool to me. And that final line, tell Anakin, I will. Why do they have to hurt me so? Um, and then we get that crazy shot, the shot of uh, going over the edge and down into the hole with all the dead clones. Super creepy. Yeah. Um, and apparently we hear uh, that Jesse was captured. Um, I won't tell you anything. How charming that you actually believe that statement to be true. Clones, bred for combat, all part of the plan. What plan? The plan, the only plan that matters. And like he's just, he's getting more and more crazy as he's seeing the pieces fit together. And then he goes full Kylo Ren on him. Mm -hmm. There he is, the the Force Mind probe. Ah. and back at that mall's meeting, we see Dryden Voss, a young Dryden Voss with more hair. It was great to see. You know, at the time, I thought Dooku was an old fool, but now I see he and I were the same, one step behind. Like, uh, it's just, because this, I, I don't know how it doesn't become cheesy with the amount of things he's just saying and observing, but each, each and every, it feels like each one is just getting better and better. And the more he talks, we're just all leaning in closer to the TV, like all desperately hanging on for everyone. Just, yes, what is happening, Maul? We need answers. Tell us. Yeah. I, it's like, we, we opened this episode with this, but again, it is amazing how how increasingly on the edge of your seat are like, I know the Mandalore conflict is new and we don't, uh, especially who hasn't read any of the additional material that references this, who really isn't aware of a lot of what happens. And just like, I, I still know the bigger picture stuff, but again, as we get closer and closer and closer and he, you know, he has the lines like, I wonder, has it happened? Like, just like what has happened? Tell me, Ma. You can monologue five more times. I don't care. <laughs> oh, the speech he gives the Mandalorian: you know, "It is not the way of your people to hide in the gutters. If you die, I promise you, it will be on the field of battle. And if you die, you will die as warriors." Which uh, that came true. <laughs> He's so evil. <laughs> so evil. Yeah. Then uh, <laughs> they walk into the throne room, and Maul is just like slouching on the throne with Jesse there. <laughs> Uh, he he bends the bla- uh, Bo-Katan's blast, just kind of away. Oh, like, I love like, that! Warps image. them. It's so cool. Also, the image of him on the throne is incredible. Like, tr- like yeah. you know, just living up this small moment of power as much as he can before he knows what happens. Will you know take place? Is there any way to treat your rightful ruler? Which, like, he wants to be snarky, but also his feelings are hurt at the same time, and that's Maul's problem. He takes it all too personally. 
Uh, this the the wide shot of the throne room as the explosions start happening outside the glass in the background. Uh, one of you might want to deal with that. And it's so cool looking. Like, that shot of, like, how much, how it feels like such an actual intentional composition. You know, like, we, we're watching a movie, you know, might as well be. Mm-hmm. And I love the way, like, as you know, we'll have, we'll, we're cutting back and forth between Maul and Ahsoka and just the battle going outside. And every time we cut back to the battle, it feels more and more horrible and pointless with the more, the, the information we're having. Like, none of it is real. The cl- the clones, they're not fighting for the Republic. The Mandalorians, they're not fighting for their nation. You know, they're not fighting for, they're not even fighting for Maul. Like, Maul doesn't care about them. He's leaving. You know, he's abandoning them. So, like, both sides are fighting for a power structure that doesn't uh, that is like doesn't even exist anymore yet they're still killing each other on the streets it's, uh, it's, like the, it's, it's like the whole tragedy of the clone wars in a microcosm is happening you know as the mandalorians and, cl- and clones clash in the streets how do you do this Filoni? teach me your ways i love that you know like it we, we get those those lines i i think it's in the like the end of oh oh no it may be the next episode where they're they're talking about you know Mandalore being uncomfortable with another Republic occupation and like well Mm -hmm. you know you're the ones who wanted us here I feel like it's it's setting the stage for you know the idea of Imperial occupation being a thing like well we're you know we're here yeah uh so ultimately what Maul wants he wants Ahsoka to join him so that together they can kill Anakin and rob Sidious of his prized pupil and hopefully, you know, just give him another setback on his path to power so that Maul can continue thriving in the shadows. Um, apparently he doesn't know Soka very well. He thinks that's going to work. But I, I love how perfect those motivations are for each other. You know, like, it, I, I never in a million years would have thought that one of the most amazing moments in Clone Wars would be Darth Maul desperately pleading with Ahsoka to kill Anakin so that they can rob Sidious of a new pupil. Like, that's just a a moment in the plot that I never would have thought would happen. But it's built to so realistically, you know, like, he this is what he fears more than anything, he, and he's going to grasp at anything to change that. And the one person he has to reach out to is the one person who could never bring herself to do that. It's, ah, it's so good. Like, they could never agree. And yet, they have to be saying what they have to be saying because that's exactly what these characters would be doing. And oh, yeah. so good. You know, he's the key to everything. He has long been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice. And I love that he still calls Sidious master. Yeah. Like that's, he's never been able to escape that. Um, oh, that shot of the, the window exploding and the glass and sparks just flowing around them in slow motion as he holds out his hand. Uh, together we can rule the galaxy. Um, how many scenes? <laughs> I I mean, I saw, we need to count how many of those scenes we have in Star Wars now. I saw somebody uh, just put together all of the images side by side of, of of Kylo and Rey and Darth Vader and Luke and now Maul and Ahsoka. I'm like, you know, this is I, I'm with I'm with Lucas. It rhymes and it's cool. Dang it! Yeah. Um. Then we get a fight, a really cool fight, and um, and everyone's some Thomas you probably know, but uh, they actually brought Ray Park in. Uh, to do the motion capture for Maul in this fight, uh, the, and then there's the the one who plays Ahsoka is a stunt woman named uh, Laura, Lauren Mary Kim. So it was uh, Ray Park and her who did at, at least the majority 
of the motion capture for this fight. And oh boy, does it pay off. Yeah. Uh, this, this is one of the coolest and most unique fights. Like the, the thing, you know, Clone Wars fights have always been very acrobatic and jumping. They're, they're, they're super fast and intricate. And everyone's jumping and leaping. This one is much more grounded. It's less acrobatic. Um, it's confined to, you know, relatively what you can believably be done with the human body. So it's it's like slower and more basic than the, the previous animated fights, but also a little bit faster and a little bit more intricate than any live action fight could ever be. So like we get the best of you know, the grounded you know, live action fights and the super cool, intricate uh, Clone Wars fights. So There's like this meeting ground in the middle that is just absolutely perfect. Yeah, like I've always loved the Clone Wars lightsaber battles, but this one... Like you said, it it feels like it had to be choreographed. It's like even beyond just the animation, like it feels movie quality. You know, it feels like their bodies have weight and mass. Like they yeah, like they every come time back the to the ground. Connect, like you feel the one person who's blocking, like kind of move back. Like there's some sort of physical clash that's happening. That little jump that like where Maul jumps up and then brings like one side of the lightsaber down on top of the other person. He does it, like two or three times. It's really cool looking. And then one of my favorite details ever is after like they go out the window when he jumps out and the the well, sabers he's out. <laughs> do what he's thrown out. Oh, sorry. Yes, he's thrown. Out. But like the saber is still ignited, and so it leaves like the uh, bird slit. It's so cool. Little someone like that uh, so someone cool. uh, compared to like Wiley the Coyote or something going through the wall. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, and then where Soka plays really cool, you're, like, you're lucky Anakin didn't show up. The way you're fighting, you wouldn't have lasted long. But when she throws, she throws it out, like she almost collapses. Like you can see, like what the fight, how difficult the fight actually is, and what it's costing her. Um, and so, I, what I think, like I think Maul is def- he's definitely stronger than Ahsoka, but I think what she's using his overconfidence essentially to throw him off balance. Um, like where he he just. He can't imagine a world where he's not the best, so he's never actually fighting as well as he could be, because he's not, you know, not not guarding himself. He's allowing himself to be thrown off balance. And I think it, there's even kind of like uh, the Kylo Ren and Force Awakens fight in that it's it's not exactly to kill because he's still aware, yeah. you know, that it's this is the this is the person that I need, uh, and you know, she's also kind of able to rely on that to survive. Oh, then he runs and like Saxon's calling for aid. I think not. Die well, Mandalorian. Ugh, what a jerk. <laughs> Obi Wan's right. You are difficult to kill, and I love that. You know, he's running away, but she needs him to stop. So what does she do? She, you know, she she name drops Obi Wan, um, and that's gonna get him to stop, make him mad, make him stay, playing dirty, and making making him mad is is you know how you beat him because it'll make him even more careless and confident. And then they're like fighting on the rafters of the city's globe. I was getting some like uh, pi- you know Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Curse of the Black Pearl, where they're where it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know Will and Jack fighting in the rafters of the blacksmith shop, kind of that going on. And then she, <laughs> the the final. I, I kind of wish there was something like one beat more, like the final thing where she kind of grabs his his arms and throws him over. It feels a bit easy. Like I don't know, the the final beat is just a little unsatisfying. But everything up to then is awesome. I um, think the reason like it works for me is because I believe that Maul would resign himself to that. Like he, at that moment being caught, like he would rather die. You know, so it's like suicide by cop kind of thing. Like I thought of that. Like that, that that's kind of the way I made it work in my mind. Like he's he is so tired of living with this fear and and the fight that 
you know, he's got to fight to the death, but if he died, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, like, because it seems, you know, he's he's upset at being caught, and it feels way more than just, oh, darn, you got me. It's like, this was, yeah, he isn't going to just, he's not the person who would, like, who's going to be suicidal, and he's definitely not the person who's going to uh, not fight whenever somebody's presented there. You know, he's seeking to kill Anakin, that's what he wants, but... If death is going to just end up coming for him in a fight, he's going to welcome that as opposed to whatever's going to come. And so, yeah, it, and then just the raving, let me die. You're all going to burn. That sh- uh, the shot of just him in the air at the end is phenomenal. Yeah. Just this whole episode was just, was just this incredible exercise and in just paranoia and fear and just slowly cranking up. Attention. Yeah, we, we, she won the fight with him. But it doesn't feel like a victory. It doesn't feel like we actually won anything. So next episode is Shattered. This is directed by Saul Ruiz. Um, and so Mandalore has been won. And, and Maul is carted onto a Republic ship with Rex and Ahsoka escorting him back to Coruscant. Uh, they wonder what they will do now that the war is nearly over. Uh, but then uh, Order 66 happens. Uh, Ahsoka is able to fight her way to Maul. And she frees him to cause a diversion. Um, she then recruits some droids to help kidnap Rex and remove his chip. Uh, he then tells her that every clone in the Republic has been turned. The the thing that, about this episode is that the first 15 minutes are just stunning. Um, there's this sense of like serenity after a battle. Uh, it's The color is like really dreary and gray, but there's like light peeking through the clouds. And just it, it, like everything, everything's at peace, yet something is wrong. Uh, there's that like ethereal Blade Runnery synth music. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I felt. That's going as uh, Maul's like sarcophagus thing is being brought out. Um, this the tone of this is like a ten minutes, you know, from the beginning, you know, from when they board the ship until Order sixty six. Is the music is like soothing and peaceful. It just lulls you into like this sense of serenity, and the camera work is all really smooth. These like long dolly shots. But something isn't right. Like it's it's a, a clash of the the music and the script with the with the visuals. So the visuals is wait, this is an imperial ship. <laughs> the bridge looks exactly like yep. they do in the Empire Strikes Back. They even got those like this like we see clones in like those kind of imperial short brimmed hats. So like it, it's so genius where we are the mu- everything is telling us that this is the end of the series. Like. The war is over. We have won. The music is like the music feels like kind of a denouement almost. Like where it's so this is the final, you know, we we the, the last episode, that was the climax. This is just the aftermath. And that's how the music feels. And that's what everything is telling us, but no, something something's going on. And it just what, drives you nuts. And the music to me also just it feels like it's riding that line between uh like it, it feels like music that is off but is trying to present itself as things are okay like it's it's used all the time whenever for these kinds of instances although most of the time i don't think as strong as it's done here of just where it is it's like you the note is just off or it's or a note is being held on to for just too long like the moment and they, they released this clip before the episode aired but like the moment of her standing on the bridge and this conversation with rex it's it's th- just these long notes with lots of pauses in, in the dialogue. And it's just, 
nothing is happening. You're hearing very little. You're seeing very little. But it just, like, you're almost holding your breath because something's about to happen. It's it's another, it's kind of like we were talking about the last episode of just something is about to happen. And I'm just bracing for the shift. Again, he's able to make us forget. Like, he's, the music, I feel like the music is the soundtrack of Rex and Ahsoka's lives. Like, that's how they feel. They're triumphant. They're peaceful. The war is over. There's a little bit, you know, like, I feel like if the, if the show had ended here, it would have been perfect. Like, if, we, if Revenge of the Sith didn't exist, and this was the ending, and, like, them on the bridge, like, well, the war's over. Um, You know, we, all we know, you know, you know, as a Jedi, we were trained to be keepers of the peace, not soldiers, but all I've been since, the, uh, since I was a Padawan is a soldier. And Rex is going, well, I've known another way. Uh, gives us clothes a mixed feeling about the war. Many people wish it never happened, but without it, we clones wouldn't exist. And I think if the show had ended there with both of them, like, yeah, the war's over, but I also, there are a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, you know, th- it's going to take a long time to heal from this. Like, that, it, it feels like that's a natural ending for the show, but no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, and it's so eerie. This makes my skin crawl thinking about it. Now, the bit we skipped over is uh, when we walk in on the latter half, uh, the latter bit of that one of the council meetings from Revenge of the Sith, where they're telling you, know, if, the, if the Chancellor does not surrender his emergency powers, he must be removed. Um, we come in on, in on that, and Ahsoka kind of gives their briefing. Um, uh, and she, she has like, you know, I did my duty as a citizen. Not as a Jedi? No, not yet. And then Mace Windu, the jerk that he is, oh. I'm sorry, citizen. This is a matter for the council to discuss. The way he just spits out the word citizen, I want to punch him in his stupid face. And if you watch it again, like when, as like as his um his hologram is flickering and he's going out, he's just kind of giving her side eye. Like, <laughs> oh. He's so petty. And it's like again, like the arrogance of the Jedi, it is what caused Ahsoka to not give them the warning. About uh, about Anakin, like she doesn't trust them to handle this situation well. You know, when they had doubts about her, they they, they just threw her out without a second's thought. So if she tells them about Anakin, they're probably you know that they'll probably make everything worse. So she she has information. Like if she had told Mace Windu that, he would have probably put some guards on him before he went to take out Palpatine, and and you know he would have killed Palpatine. And it all would have been well. Like if she had you know she had simply spilled what she knew, like we, they could have won, but. Again, you know, the arrogance of the Jedi and, and just how cold and cruel they were to her made her not trust them, you know, very fairly, and it sealed their face. Like, all the little things that you know, that that could have stopped what happened. But no, Mace, you had to be a jerk. Yeah. I don't trust Mace not to have just gone and tried to kill Anakin here and that. Which, uh, would that have been so bad? He's too dangerous to be left alive. Um, but Yoda, Yoda is just sweet and adorable. Yeah. More to say, have you? I just the, the the kind of kindness in his eyes. May the force be with you. He calls her Padawan. It's so sweet. Yeah, Yoda's been he's such an interesting character to me because he's completely complicit in all of the lies and the deception. And in the that Sifo-Dyas episode I was talking about, like he's the one who who says plainly, like. But we... he feels bad about it. And that's that's the thing. Like he's Mitchwood <laughs> who doesn't. He can't, you know, you can't say he's uninvolved, but his demeanor, he, there's tragedy to Yoda to me of just like knowing what he knows. It's like, what do you do? There's just been so much faith and power given to us. What's, what's the right answer? And 
Uh, that's why I love that they maintain that like kind of the sweetness in their relationship to allow for like their last exchange and rebels to work, you know, it's it's like the twilight apprentice thing where it's like, even though they see each other one more time than we thought they might've, when we got those moments, those moments still hold up. Mm -hmm. And I love that order 66 comes with no real warning. There's no eerie music. It's just, you know, Oh, we've got a briefing and and, we're we're on Anakin. And then we just, we're on a soak look at the window and we just cut to, you know, Sidious's mouth and it's begun. Um, and you know, Ahsoka hears all the Jedi, you know, or not, not, not she's near the Jedi, dying. she hears uh, the, the final confrontation between Mace Windu, Anakin, and Palpatine. I don't know. I think, yeah. I think I have the, the order events wrong or something, something like that. But like, yeah, that just, it, it, it doesn't feel like it, it's not played like a horror movie. It just kind of, it just happens. And now her best, you know, one of her best friends is pointing guns at her and about to kill her and, Again, you know, again, we know we know what Order sixty six is, but he's still putting us in the shoes of how Ahsoka would feel, and it feels like super random and, and just really scary. Yeah, and the image of her in the middle, just like deflecting all of the all of the blasters, that shot oh. is incredible. Like the just the way the sparks fly and everything's reflecting off of it, like it just... in the quick cuts, the spinning camera, the smoke. Mm, it's amazing. Uh, but I also love that you know, she's deflecting them through the ceiling to make a hole for her to escape. Yeah. It, the I, I was also wondering, you know, how they were going to handle, like, the Rex deal. And, like, if I was going to be able to buy it. But that slow, like, the tear as he is lifting the gun, I'm like, I'm okay with this, you know. <laughs> and I love that there's a meme of, you know, like, it shows, like, Rex. Where, like, you know, <laughs> You know, yeah, find fives, find him, and then Cody, where he's dating Vito with the two revolvers. So anyway, I started blasting. It's <laughs> so good. Uh, poor Cody, gets no respect. Um, but yeah, he, he the struggle, the, the close up on the helmet shaking, and then Order sixty six, and Ahsoka's running, and she goes goes and uh, quote unquote rescues Maul from being executed. You know, I'm not here to team up. I need a diversion, and you're it. A go cause some chaos is what you're good at. Could you? Would you care to give me a fighting chance? I'm not rooting for you. <laughs> that line is so good. And I, that scene, like Darth Vader in Rogue One, has new competition for the greatest hallway scene in Star Wars now. <laughs> it's so just the slow, confident walk down the hall. My favorite is when he throws the wall and beheads the two troopers. <laughs> yeah, that's when I was like, okay, thank you, Disney. Thank you for letting moments like this happen. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then pulling the guy's arm back through the door. Oh, so brutal. Um, oh, the track, that's so horrible. Like half the clones are still wearing orange helmets as they're running around talking about killing Ahsoka. That's what I, ah! whatever, whatever we were watching, I was like, this is, I, I was talking to my sister, I was like, this is unfair. You don't get to set up this sweet, beautiful moment of them painting that on and then keep them in that as they hunt her. And we, we, we did mention that. The 501st, they painted their helmets orange as a sign of respect to Ahsoka. And I love when she was walking with Anakin and everyone's like, Commander? Commander? It's like, why are, they, why, are they, you know, why are they calling me that? I'm not a commander anymore. But they don't care. Like, they know she was done dirty and they're all on her side. The bit of irony, though, yeah, of... of- them hunting her with the helmet paint is just it's too much but it's incredible yeah so that, that she's able to that she have recruits droids i love i love this kind of subtle theme i don't know if it was a theme with uh 
under Lucas, but under Disney, I've noticed several times this theme of, you know, the kindness to droids paying off where you know, she goes and, you know, recruits the droids. And like, you know, if you respect the droids and you're kind to them, you know, there's nothing that they won't do for you in return. They're like dogs. They're, they're your best friend. Yeah. Um, but it was just a, it was a nice little moment. It reminded me a lot of, of like Dio in uh, yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, so they kidnap Rex and she uses she has the, the I am one with the force the force of the meat mantra to to locate the uh, the chip in his head. It was really cool. You know, she's saying you know, that he, we cl- we cut to Rex and he's you know starting to mumble it. Um, just cool force things. Yeah, cool force things. I'm always down for that. Oh, the, the, it was really scary. Like when the door is open and she's deflecting the blast and the, she's getting knocked back and loses a lightsaber and she's getting hit like. The, the intensity of those sequences where she's deflecting but slowly being pushed back is really well portrayed. And just, you know, the, the tension that the whole story has allowed exists there with this idea of how much she respects and loves the clones, you know. It, it's, it's why, at first I was like, well, what if, like, why are, why are they so quick to kill? Like, how can they be so quick to kill all these other Jedi and then we've got Rex just holding, like, able to fight it for a little bit here. It's like, just think about the difference in the relationships where... It was love, Tars. <laughs> it was all love. But yeah, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda go to the temple, and they're just, like, killing clones left and right. Well, at that point, they knew that every single one of their friends and loved ones had been killed by these guys. So sure, but... It, they had a chip on their shoulder. And, like, the, the clones are literally standing over the bodies of their friends. Like, yeah, you're going but, down. I, but I feel like it's it's very intentional to to juxtapose like the the different reactions because yoda's first reaction even prior to everything going on wasn't to deflect it was to backflip and decapitate <laughs> but that was cool so it's it okay. was very cool but the, the thing and i'm saying like it, it you know it works with these different characters and it's why i think just the relationship and genuine bond that Ahsoka put the time in to build with someone like Rex is why I'm able to buy that, like those few seconds of fight that he had. Mm-hmm. And I love that even though fives died before he got the message out, he still, he was able to save Rex. Yeah. That's, that's what I love. The, that kind of vindication that he gets here of, of uh, Rex realizing, you know, the, you know, calling the name fives, like, so so the, the the most brutal and cynical and nihilistic arc finally gets just a little bit of hope at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> this series is brutal, man. Uh, um, so next episode is Victory. The final episode is Victory and Death. This one's directed by Nathaniel Villanova. So as Maul rampages across the Star Destroyer, taking out the hyperdrive, Ahsoka and Rex try to find a way to escape the ship. It comes out of hyperspace badly damaged and going down on an unknown planet. They attempt to steal a shuttle, but are forced to combat hordes of clones to get to it. Maul beats them to the shuttle and leaves them behind. They then take a Y-wing and barely make it out as the ship crashes onto the planet. They return to the wreck and bury their fallen comrades and leave behind false evidence of their own deaths. Uh, An undetermined amount of time later, Darth Vader visits the wreck and confirming that his former apprentice is indeed dead. Um, oh, the, the chorus that we hear over the Lucasfilm logo is like, it's like giving this episode like so much weight and import. Like, this is the final episode. Pay attention. It's serious. And on the subject of music, I didn't bring it up, but them reprising the Order 66 music in the, in the scene where she's deflecting and the camera's spinning around is great. Cause like, I, you know, Jedi Fallen Order, 
uh, came out last year, and that the game has an incredible flashback sequence to Order 66 where they reuse the music as well. And so I've seen different people cutting together like clips of, of Order 66 from all of these different angles and just playing the music over it. And it's oh, it, it, one incredible effective scene in one movie has just spread out across the whole you know canon and we see it from all these different areas it's it's so good yeah so this one is almost entirely action and I, when i first thought i was a little disappointed i kind of you kind of wanted more story and characters however i wonder i haven't yet had a chance to do this but i wonder if you view all the episodes together if this feels just like a climax of a movie and not just like a, an episode did you feel that way when you first saw it? I I felt that way going into because I I think you you had seen it or yeah we watched it after there was already a lot of reaction because um, I I think for some reason I thought it I didn't realize it was premiering that night and so it wasn't until like the evening the next day that I oh watched yeah it, it. Pre- it premiered like just a few days after the the previous one and so I had seen like some people voice their disappointment with the action heavy and you had made that cut the the thing that re- I think prepared me for it was you saying that it would probably feel more natural just as a climax to a film and, you know, binging it would feel that way. And then the point that, like, the lack of story to story development, the lack of character interaction, the lack of any resolution is, like, satisfyingly unsatisfying. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot of running around. I wonder if they had, like, one dude who had to animate all of the clones being stunned because... I'm sure that this, this, like, he had to have, Rex had to have stunned about a hundred clones in this episode. Like, the whole thing is just, like, him, Ahsoka blocking him shooting, Ahsoka blocks, he shoots. And like, it's a lot, of, there's a lot of that. Um, but it, it is just super crazy that Ted's just running through, um, Maul goes and, <laughs> he, like, he punches the helmet off a soldier, catches it, and, like, throws it at another one. He's so, br- like, he's such a brute force now. How do you feel about like some of the epic displays of force power, like where he like rips the hyperdrive out of the ship with the force, or Ahsoka holding back the the shuttle? It's it's cool in the moment. I I, I I'm getting to where like I just wish they saved those for like once a trilogy or something, like once a TV show. Well, I think for me because this is the finale of the whole series, I'm okay with it. Um, and you know this, we've had these conversations about just like the way people view the force and what like how to be stronger and whatnot and because it like huge acts of the force are almost always born out of out of emotion and this is maul's mm-hmm. last di- like he is painfully aware of what's happening and so the idea that that the genuine fear that he would have of being caught in the middle of this would be enough to just tap into that rage and fear and anger and rip that apart uh and because it's just like you know ahsoka isn't pulling you know a star destroyer out of the sky it is just kind of the it's the one transport ship and and it looks like a genuine struggle so both of the it's interesting that uh maybe she was giving to the dark side a little because you, what happens is she's holding it back and then she we hear the force theme and she kind of centers herself and allows herself to let go. Yeah. There's a little something going on there. And so because because it's like I agree with you. I, I want these huge moments of the force to feel earned and infrequent because it is the climax and because but also just because for a matter of like I, I the law of diminishing returns is very real 
where you can't just keep outdoing yourself and you need the threat. You know, you need a sense of tangibility about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think for me, both of these moments felt just grounded enough. You know, like he wasn't like ripping apart the entire start or the entire cruiser from the inside out. He was just pulling down parts of the reactor and then, and you know, she's not ripping apart his ship. All she can do, like it takes every ounce of her to just keep the one ship from moving. So mm. for me, it all worked. But overall, I just love the way they, they, they are able to show how, just how overwhelmed her and Rex are. We're just, just any, like if there's one, always one second, one wrong move away from being killed. And there's just so many clones everywhere. The desperation, the sense of desperation in this episode is insane. And like, you know, Rex being willing to, to kill him. Like he's, he's aware that they're, they would kill them. Yeah. And when she takes his helmet off and he's got the tears, it's just like, we're really coming to it, man. This is, this is, this started back in 2008 as a kid's show. And I'm like trying my best not to weep. I, I had tears in my eyes this episode. They may be willing to die but I am not the one who's going to kill them. Mm. And, oh, it's so horrible. What happens to Jesse? Like, Jesse was the guy in Umbara who gives that speech to his brothers about, you know, you know we're not just droids, we're men. We have a choice. We're not just robots. Well, why'd you have to bring that up? Now he's the one, you know, who's completely lost his, you know, lost his individuality and just, a, just another droid, essentially. You know, could soldiers follow orders type thing. Mm. Yeah, it hurts. And also, like for a for an episode that's just so action heavy, I'm impressed at how uh, how much variety in the action there is, and how it it for me at least it didn't feel repetitive. And despite the fact that I was aware, like this has really just mainly been action, it's been so visually cool, and it has that sense of desperation that it all like I loved the the pulling the platforms down and then back up. And and her using the force to cut the hole out with her two lightsabers was such a cool visual. <laughs> like, it's it it's happens so fast. Like if you're not if you're not paying attention, you you totally miss it. Yeah, there's just this constant. I, I I think part of what makes the action heaviness work for the episode is you have to feel like we can't we can't let our heads cool and try to think of give ourselves any more than like a minute or two to come up with a game plan that breakneck sense of desperation is is helped by just how non-stop it is that final bit where, where rex is prepping the ship and she's blocking she keeps like getting grazed and hit and losing her lightsaber it's like it's the escalation is just like again you know so much action but it, he's able to keep it you know just a slowly rising pitch yeah uh, <laughs> Oh, gosh. The droids. Oh, the poor droids. <laughs> so sad. Uh, like, GG and Cheap. Like, like <laughs> Cheap is uh, voiced by Dave Filoni. He voices him just like Chopper. And he's like a, a better, improved design, chop, Chopper design. Um, like he, like, raises his two little arms and surrender. <laughs> and they just blast them. And we get, like, that long shot of all the barrels blasting. It's, it's so horrible too far then when they you know she jumps through the ship and misses and like they're they're like flying through the debris the, the debris the wake of debris from the star destroyer and she's like running along the side of one an engine or something it's, it's nuts what they're doing like this is a moment that could have so easily just become stupid and over the top 
most of the credit probably has to go to Villanova, but he's able to just maintain a sense of speed and weight and danger to it, even as it's getting increasingly ridiculous. Um, like, like this is one of those one of those bits of action where like the entire episode, like the entire ten minutes of the episode, uh, where you just like kind of forget to breathe and you're just on the edge of your seat and you just cannot relax, and then finally with that incredible shot of the uh, Star Destroyer falling through the clouds, you're like, okay, <laughs> I can I can unclench now. Yeah. And then, kind of bookending, where the the same surreal synth music comes back or the, the, from from the opening of Shattered, uh, comes back at the end, like, and it's kind of like Shattered rightfully should have been the 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 end of the Clone Wars, and now we get the same music for the ending again. <laughs> it ends again, but everything's gone to hell, uh, and it's all silent. These gorgeous shots—they bury the clones and. Ahsoka standing in front of the orange helmets on sticks that she had to kill to escape because they would have killed her. And James, it's horrible. But it's so good. It's horrible. Uh, the cut to winter and the empires here invader. Um, and it's it was so weird seeing the 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 imper- you know the imperial aesthetic, the imperial uniforms, and the, all all the, the the stormtroopers and Darth Vader. It's it, after you know six, seven seasons of the the very unique Clone Wars aesthetic, seeing an imperial you know, the imperial look inside this look and aesthetic just it feels wrong. It's like this this is like something in my brain said this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. Yeah, and hearing you know hearing like imperial voices from this yeah. art style, you know, like the I, I forget like I think one of them asked Vader or something, but you, like you hear and it's not. It's not the you know the the Maori Kiwi accent. It's just ah, we're we're in a new era now. And uh, Ahsoka's little birdie bird friend, uh, Morai, I think it's called, is like flying overhead, and Vader walks away, and he's reflected in the cracked helmet, and it ends like, what was this? What was all this for? <laughs> the whole nothing. thing. It was for nothing. It's just like a pointless waste. Like like the Jedi. We like the Jedi were going into the Clone Wars. We were somehow tricked. We were tricked into watching the show, and we were tricked into believing it mattered. <laughs> there was an, that there was somehow possibly something good that could come of it, but no, it was all a trick. It was all fake. You know, we like the Jedi, like the clones. We were all just used and abused, and here we are at the end with this, this, this just emptiness in this kind of profoundly unsatisfied feeling of nothing matters at the end and it's just it's perfect hmm. uh, and i was left broken no knowing that rebels exist it kind of takes a bit of the pain off like can you imagine watching this and not knowing that rebels happened oh i would have been like i would have been inconsolable yeah <laughs> because for me it's like i i was i was having to like repeat like okay we know she's in rebels we know what happens there is a point she's able to like the point of clone wars was letting her you know see the events as they were so that we can give the rebellion that that level of insight and we can she can be there for the, ah had to find some way of finding meaning from the clone wars yeah and it's the fact that they had the guts to not go for a happy ending and to not even go for a bittersweet ending they just go for the gut punch and make you feel what the clone wars really were which is just it was all a ruse. It was all a waste. None of it really. It was a. Tr- we were we were tricked, and yes, there were heroes. There were good people. There were heroes on both sides. To borrow an episode title, 
like a lot of good people fought and died. You know, friendships, you know, friendships were formed, love happened, but ultimately, despite all of the humanity that went into that war, it was nothing more than a trick. And they just that that is the only feeling they want us to feel at the ending. Which in a way I feel like is the greatest memorial you could give to the tragedy that is the clone troopers. Yeah. You know, they thought they were the heroes, but they were actually the villains. So now we gotta feel that pain. Yeah. And it's also it's it's ironic though, with uh, ironic. Um but with whenever they, they thought that these the lost missions were gonna be their their final uh moment to try to finish off this story. And they, you know, we end with that bit of from Yoda, you know, like where he's thinking, you know, like we, we may not win this war, but that may not be what's important. And like it ends on like the the blossom on the tree and like uh, the musical note hitting a note of hopefulness. And they're like, okay, never mind though, we really did get to finish it, so now everything sucks again. Like, yeah. You know, just they're they ended the show twice, you know, because that the lost missions were they're attempt at trying to end it on some satisfying note and i just but it was find also it... super cynical like the jedi are gonna die <laughs> yeah but <laughs> like i they even ignore like what i liked about that episode was that they acknowledged it with the idea you know yoda was aware that this isn't the war they thought it was and it doesn't look like things are gonna go well but that hope is going to outlive this defeat and it like like because it is it is like a soft sweet musical note it ends on with the image of the flower, mm. and then when they're like oh we get another season okay never mind all depression pointless meaningless, <laughs> uh, oh they're cruel. So that was the Clovers, James. It's yeah, incredible. How do you feel? Empty and satisfied and and all of it. It's it is crazy. It, like I said at the beginning, it. This episode being amazing as it is, is just so good for the sh- or th- this arc really is so good for the show. And it was so funny how everybody just out crying what was good, like the just the very loud online disappointment as this as the season was going on is just brought to this abrupt silence with this arc. It just makes me so happy. Yeah, so how, how how are you feeling? So now now that the Clone Wars, you know, this final, that this last you know wrong has been righted. We've we've gotten end for the Clone Wars. You know, Rebels is over, Resistance is over. What 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 are you thinking about for the future of Star Wars animation? Um, I I I think m- most of my thoughts in terms of new canon is very much determined and maybe to a fault but it's just determined by the era that i'm ready to see fleshed out and now you know we've we've got like the 10 year gap between phantom menace and attack of the clones but i think that's perfectly fine because the real story doesn't start until attack of the clones and so from attack of the clones to revenge of the sith is pretty well defined now um and what i love that disney like something i love about the disney era is my last marathon going from the prequels in or was I say the last marathon whenever we did our big Star Wars marathon uh for the podcast going from Revenge of the Sith to Solo to Rebels to Rogue One to, like the the immediate or you know the the imperial reign feels so much more fleshed out now like I'm 
A New Hope is in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. That movie is perfect and I'm never going to not love it. And yet they made, they took that love and elevated it even more by making me more, not just invested in the characters now, but now I'm invested in the fight. Like the Imperial, I've seen Imperial Reign and I'm like, we've got to destroy this. And so for me, you know, with Rebels having ended in the way it did in the flash forward, even after the events of, um, of the original trilogy ending, I, I de- like the gap between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy is like is the obvious choice for me now. It's like I'm I'm ready to see this area. You know, like Resistance only backs the timeline up like six months before the Force Man- Awakens. So that's there's a Mandalorian going about five years after. Yeah, and so even still, we've got like we've got a big gap, uh, and so I'm I'm I would be excited. For I, I have no idea what the point would be. I, like I guess the obvious one would be like a, a series about uh, Sabine and uh, Ahsoka, you know, going after Ezra and tying up that end from Rebels. Yeah, that that's the must-have for me. I'm still very sore about the ending of Rebels. Um, yeah, like like this is just a matter of principle. You got to go back. You got to finish the story. What happened to these characters? You can't just end on a cliffhanger like that. So for me, like that's I need that just for my mental health. And that's what I'm hoping it is, is because that that satisfies all the things that I want to be satisfied. It it resolves what happened with Ezra, and it fills in the gap that I I'm looking to be filled now. Yeah, and I don't know if it means anything, you know, because we know Filoni is just a great big troll. Like he's been putting out all these drawings on Twitter of you know Ahsoka in her you know Gandalf's garb with the staff. She looks so cool like that too. Uh, yeah, like he's been putting out all these pictures like. You know, people thought I was dead too. So, like, he's, te- I, I think he's teasing another Rebel show, but who knows with with Filoni. Um, also, there was there were statements from Timothy Zahn where he said that he wasn't going to be writing stories about what happened to Thrawn after Rebels. Timothy Zahn being the guy who created Thrawn and who wrote the original Thrawn trilogy as well as the new uh, canon Thrawn trilogy. He was he was asked you know, whether he was going to write about Thrawn in the future. He said no because that's Filoni's thing. Like he 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 can't touch that. So I, I'm taking all this to believe that they have plans for a Rebel sequel series about whatever the heck happened. And honestly, I kind of hope they go beyond the sequel trilogy. Maybe they could bring the theory of relativity to where time didn't pass. Like, like somehow, I, I, I don't love the idea of time travel, but like, I, don't, I also don't want whatever this happens to be to be bogged down by the sequel trilogy. Because I don't feel like there's a lot of space for them in there. And I kind of hope they could they could just take Star Wars in you know into the future with you know with Ezra with Ezra with Thrawn with Sabine with Ahsoka. I doubt that's going to be what happens, but or maybe just maybe they could just go outside the known galaxy and the entire thing could take place somewhere else. Well, that's that's probably you know depending on where they went at the end of Rebels, you probably can put some distance between this story and and everything, though. And so I guess I'm also like. And maybe it's going to end up being the Mandalorian, and uh, you know, there's talks of an Ahsoka spinoff, like a live-action Ahsoka spinoff show at this point. Or Ahsoka I, showing up in Mandalorian. Yeah, it's, I I have no idea what's going on. I just know for me, like, I see these two eras that are so defined, and then I see this 25-year gap, and it like it just there's something about like my need for nice 
filled in story that's like 25 years of silence we need to fill this with a show or something it's all it was all peaceful it's boring well but i i don't know i like the idea of uh of a frontier galaxy with like a a a, a new republic desperately trying to maintain order but unable to like keep the silent building of the first order and maybe retroactively fix whatever the heck the first order that we saw in the force awakens in the last jedi was maybe you can, you're a, you're a first order bureaucracy show that's hey my dream is like and whether it's empire or force first order or whatever but like a a, a movie or show about the bureaucracy written uh by crap why am i going blank on his Aaron own Sorkin? Aaron Sorkin, yes, like that's the that's the real dream. Yeah. So, but there's also the High Republic. So, I mean, I they've put a lot of a lot of marketing and you know, and I they're really putting they seem to be putting a lot of investment in this High Republic era. So far, the only things announced have been books and comics. But you you gotta think they're planning you know movies or TV shows, at least tentatively. And so I would not I will not be at all surprised if we get an animated show in that set in that era with these characters. Maybe then we can set up things like the Sith Eternal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, given like the fairly tepid fan response to like Star Wars Resistance and the very enthusiastic response to the season seven, I feel I hope this is like kind of the, the final nail in the coffin of Lucasfilm and, and of Disney trying to keep it you know really cutesy and family friendly. Like I love Rebels, but that was kind of my complaint with the first two seasons where they they felt like they kind of had to make it a bit too cute and kid friendly. I think now that they know that. The, the we, people are open to being a bit more dark and dangerous and that they were willing to do that for season seven. I hope that, you know, that means that we, the next show won't feel so beholden to being quote unquote family friendly. I mean, I want I, 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 Star Wars should always be family friendly, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I hear that this is often the case for a lot of shows though, is because the longevity of shows a lot of the time depends on things like toy sales is the the trick is to go super cutesy family friendly and hook the kids on season one, and once you got them hooked, once you have them wearing the shirts, then you go dark. <laughs> you know that's <laughs> then you can sell them at Hot Topic. Both the Clone Wars, yeah, exactly. That's what happened with both the Clone Wars and Rebels. Is like there's there's a very clear like, hey, look, here's Ahsoka, and you know she's got the little baby Jabba, and, and Rebels is very you know bright and colorful. <laughs> but, but but Lucas. Disneyfied is very different from Disney Disneyfied. Like, that, oh yeah, even it's with true. cute little Jabba and Jar Jar, there's also lots of beheadings and torture. And yeah. and I, I think that's the difference between Disney and and Cartoon Network. Also, is Cartoon Network is willing to go darker, but I think even I think they they were less concerned about like we need this kid mar- like or about like they were less concerned about image and more like. The matter of fact is, we need money from toys, so let's just. Honestly, I think I think Lucas probably also drove some of the goofiness. Oh yeah, that's also you true. Know, he's the guy who gave us Jar Jar. <laughs> All right, yeah. So right as of yeah, I mean, of course they're going to make an announcement as soon as we stop recording. But as of now, we know absolutely nothing about the future of Star Wars animation, and I need it. I need information. <laughs> All right, so that was a review of Star Wars: The Clone Wars season seven. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to please uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. If you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can follow me on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J L H A M R I. 
Uh, and you can also join the both of us as well as some other friends over on Facebook at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. Uh, that is where I saw the bulk of the online reaction to everything going on and all of the praise and hype around uh, every, you know, as I was watching, having not seen it. Everybody lose their mind. Uh, so it's a, a super fun place to go to be excited about Star Wars and have conversation about all of the many new possibilities we might see. And I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can find me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I put out these movie-based music videos, including one on Rebels I did a while back. Uh, so next week, uh, since we have yet another TV show with a, se- a season two of Resistance lined up, we're going to uh, give ourselves another week to prep for that. And I uh, will slot in between uh, this, uh, this episode and season two of Resistance with a, an episode of uh, Detours, I, I just I guess to keep on the Star Wars theme, we're going to do Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which, which is uh, one of my absolute favorite films from last year. Uh, so we're just going to geek out a lot, a whole lot about that movie next week. Yeah, I'm, I only saw it the once in theaters, but I really loved it. And I'm very much looking forward to revisiting it. If it's anything like typical Johnson, there's reward to be found in, in repeat viewings. Oh, definitely. All right, uh, so until next week, we will see you in the murder mystery. The Republic couldn't have asked for better soldiers, nor I a better friend.